Hello and welcome back to Blood and Ashes. This is episode 39. I am your host Mo and I'm joined again by my rested and recuperated friends, Jody. Hello everybody. <laughs> Good evening. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Joe. I don't know where um, that came from. <laughs> that was a, I did not plan sounds that. Like, it sounds like some ways down your esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> it's the microphone settings. They're all off. <laughs> oh man, guys, we made it. After oh. a couple of interesting weeks leading up to this recording, I feel like we've been circling the end of the shadow rising for some time now, but here we are at the finale for what I guess is season four of our show. Mm. The the last episode for the shadow rising and boy howdy, what what a climax. A few things happen in these chapters. Yeah. It's like one or you, two. You reckon? Yeah. <laughs> oh well, two things happen. Yeah. <laughs> Just two, just only two, two things. <laughs> two conclusions get drawn. <laughs> Since this is a final episode for one of the books, again, where there is a slight uh, change in the format, not huge, but I'll just run through it quickly. We'll obviously do our chapter summaries as usual. Uh, we'll still pick our favorite moments from this stretch of chapters. Jody, start thinking about yours now. My what, sorry? And <laughs> your favorite moment, remember those? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Um, then what we'll do again is we'll talk about the book as a whole, uh, and then after we've done that, we'll pick our favorite moment from the entire book, and then we will start preparing for the next book because this train is not slowing down anytime soon. Oh, well, really? The train is uh, five weeks later. Yeah, really, really slowly <laughs> out of the station. I must say, it's. Uh, I meant let's, in let's, the let's, grand let's scheme speed of up things. First. All right. No. I was just thinking as well about people that are listening to this podcast like years later, like, what break? What are you guys talking about? I'm binging all of this. But seriously, it's for the people that are following us like live, um, it's been what, five weeks since the last recording? Five weeks, yeah. Because our previous episode, we also recorded a week early, earlier than usual. And oh, then we, took, we skipped one episode, which is, you know, instead of just four, it made it five weeks until now. Which just means that my energy levels are up. I am ready to go. I've been tweeting about it. I've been talking to you guys about it. I've been psyched to record this episode for a little while now. And I mean, the exciting subject matter makes that uh, oh. even more, more exciting. But before we get to all that wonderful excitement, let's delve into a world of pedantry and corrections <laughs> in a little section I like to call callbacks. In the last episode... I made a complete meal of the name The 13th Depository, which <laughs> we're talking about the 13th Suppository, uh, but it is absolutely The 13th Depository. And for anyone that's listened to the show thus far, we've quoted it a couple of times. I don't know if I have been crediting that site as often as I should, but I'm doing that now. And I'm also putting a link to the blog in the, uh, in the episode description. Uh, a lot of really great in-depth analysis and stuff on there which is invaluable to anyone that's trying to as we are pry every bit of joy out of this out of these texts then joe you asked if setter was very powerful um we were talking about um the sultan mm -hmm. and um i think 
when I looked around, I mean, I don't think, I know that when I looked around online, there doesn't seem to be any kind of direct reference to her power levels. But what I do think is that you may have been thinking of Olivia, who is a Demane, who is extremely powerful. She's more powerful than Nynaeve. She is the most powerful female channeler, I think, in the series. Oh, right. That is the one. Olivia yes. with an A, right? Yes. Not yes. like Newton John. Um, <laughs> not Olivia. <laughs> Olivia. No, okay. She's um, the most powerful female channeler in the Third Age. She is also 400 years old when oh. you meet her. And despite being a Demane for that long a time, she quickly turns on the Suldam. Like her spirit was never actually broken. And she well. very quickly turns against the Sean Chan, her, her former captors, which is just... Phew! <laughs> you know, like, thank God for that. Well, maybe after 400 years, she's just like had enough. <laughs> like, just yeah, waiting. Just, the, the effect of the Adam, maybe it's just worn off. Yeah. Um, like she's outlasted it. Um, we also chatted about someone having, who was it that had an almost imperceptible reaction to Rand saying, you can't fake the dragon tattoos. And it was Moraine. Um, when Ruark says there's no way to imitate the dragons of Ruidian, mm. uh, Rand notices that Moraine has a bit of a um, bit of a reaction to it, and I think that might be. Well, I'm speculating here. What I think that could be is because maybe Moraine knows of other people that have tattoos applied with the one power so not specifically the dragons of Ruidian, but mm. maybe she knows already. Like I mean, Swan does Swan have tattoos in the sh- in the books? I don't know. She does in the show. Joe, you asked, what does it mean that the sling has been used? The shepherd holds the sword. Because there's mm. no mention of, um, you know, or no obvious reference to what the sling part is. And I went mm. online and I couldn't find it anywhere. I mean, a sling sort of implies the sending of something on a path. Uh, but Moraine didn't send Rand towards Kalandor. Like, she was actually quite put out by the fact that he went off on his own. So I just have no idea what that could mean i mean and i have scoured the internet so listeners if anyone knows Mm. what that specific part of that message that coded message to swan could have been about um do please let us know because now it's going to sit there and annoy me for probably the rest of my life (laughs) yeah i'm thinking (laughs) about it right now Um, we also sort of speculated around like what Perrin's vision of Matt naked and bound with his Ashandarai and his Wolfhead medallion could be. And we sort of joked around like maybe it could be, you know, one of he he and Tuon's sort of sexual escapades or something along those lines. But um, the 13th Depository, which I just referenced a couple of minutes ago, um, have a theory posted on there about the fact that it is more than likely to do with Matt's potential capture in the world of the Finns because he is naked. So he's stripped of everything and he's, and he's also, um, he's bound. Um, and because he's not wearing any clothes or anything, you could make a sort of tenuous link to the fact that, you know, maybe they are after his actual skin and they've taken everything off him, except for the things that they gave him as part of the bargain. And they sort of stick to the rules of their bargain, you know, to the very end. So it's, what they're saying is it's noteworthy that the things the Finns gave him are still with him. Um, and we know that Matt is going to be, you know, facing up against them in the future sometime. Joe, you look unconvinced. I'm not buying it. <laughs> that seems extremely okay. convoluted. 
But thank you for doing the research, Morris. Much <laughs> that's that's the closest thing I could find to it, or to explain like what that little scenario mm. could be about. The other vision the parent had was Rand the beggar, and we've actually sort of you know mentioned this before. I think in book one or very early in the story, Min has a, a viewing of of a beggar's staff or something with Rand. And we were even at the time going, ah, there's some time when Rand is disguised as a beggar. It's a very short time. It's in mm-hmm. Ibudar uh, in The Gathering Storm. He disguises himself as a beggar when he tries to go suss out the Sean Chan before he goes and he makes um, a bargain with him. So he mm. is dressed in a cloak. He's stooped over because he doesn't want to look tall. He's carrying a staff and he thinks to himself that he looks like a beggar. One of those infallible disguises again. <laughs> this one actually works. <laughs> but it's also just an odd thing for RJ to sort of call out twice. Yeah. You know, Min had a viewing and now Perrin. And it's such a, I don't know if it's really consequential at all, right? It's just a disguise. He used it for a short time once when sussing out the Sean Chan. Maybe it's him referencing it, just so pointing it out that the grand is Jesus. Kind of as powerful as Jesus or something. <laughs> Or maybe, yeah, like like showing him as a humbled, you know, street level hero. Not yeah, yeah. <laughs> every, every man's Jesus, <laughs> street Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else did we have here? <laughs> we sort of pontificated on how long the siege of Eamon's Field could have been, and it was seven days of fighting. We asked, what is the name of the Fletcher in Eamon's Field? And it is <laughs> Buell Dowtry. Oh, yes. Old Dowtry. Then we also asked, speaking of the Fletcher and Perrin being able to potentially go into Telarunriad and come out in the flesh, why the doesn't arrows. he just go and make things there and come back and sort of like bring those things that he manifests in Telarunriad in, in the real world? Because they disappear and they go away. So there is a catch-all rule. For bad, the stuff that comes out of Teleronriad. arrows that's going to disappear and go away. It's not going to be very effective. And to be honest, as I read it as well, um, it sort of, it reminded me that in the eye of the world, there's a there's a dream that Rand has when Ishamal is chasing him through these, um, like a hedge maze, but it's a, a maze of thorns. Mm-hmm. And he has a, th- when he wakes up, he has a thorn in his hand and he pulls it out and he drops it to the floor. But as it hits the floor, like around that time, it also disappears. Yeah. But we've actually seen the yes. reason why this can't be done earlier in the story. Um, it's weird that our memories would fail us at such a critical moment. Unless, but, uh, unless it's it. part of your body. Because when it was in his hand, it was fine. But as soon as it became detached. Mm. So you'd have to carry so all those arrows is... in his body. Fill yourself with arrows like a pincushion, much like the fades get pincushioned, and bring them out. Yeah. And then what, just like run into the enemies? Because as soon as you take them out, they disappear. (laughs) Just got to run there quickly. This this isn't pedantry. This is just bordering on silliness now. Bordering? (laughs) We crossed crossed that border border a long time ago. Um, We, on the same sort of topic, we were wondering like how does Slayer enter and exit Teleronriad? Like what does it look like? Because when Perrin shoots him with the arrow, he just sort of fades away. Um, but it is never actually explained in the books or anywhere in the companion novels or anything like that. So we are not alone in wondering All about right. that. Then we wondered, does Thomas know or know of Elias? And 
I looked online to see if I could sort of, because we have a vague idea of when Elias was at the tower because of his age and that sort of stuff. And I wanted to see when Varen bonded Thomas. But there is no actual date that I can find. Again, obviously, if any of our listeners, you know, know the answer to this question, let us know. But um, it led me down a little path of Thomas and, and Varen, which is that Thomas was already a dark friend before he met Varen. And he actually wanted to convert to the light. He was a dark friend, had regrets about it, wanted to convert back to the light. And when Varen met him, she offered him the opportunity to do exactly that, but be her warder. She had had a previous warder that died, and she Thomas is her second warder. And um, she offered him this opportunity. She came clean to him saying, I'm of the Black Archer. We are both dark friends. But through helping me, I'm studying the Black Archer. You can redeem yourself and ultimately turn back to the light, which is such a cool little cool. sub, I'm glad sub that story. Cool. they in on it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, okay, here, yeah, pedantry to the max. Here we go again. I had mentioned that Nynaeve learned the stilling weave that she tried to use on Mogidian from Elaine, but it was Egwene. Mm-hmm. As we know, Egwene was the one that. Um, you know, stilled Amiko uh, when when they were escaping from the Stone of Tear. Uh, but that led me down another little train of thought going, mm, how did Nynaeve learn that from Egwene? Because Egwene does it outside the cell to Amiko, who is guarding the cell. So Nynaeve never saw it. So Egwene mm. must have, I mean, the only logical conclusion is that Egwene would have taught her the weave yeah. after the fact, maybe off page to say, this is how I best to do it. Check this out. Yeah, it seems like a pretty you know important piece of information to share with somebody. <laughs> if you're ever powerful. in a tight spot, check this shit out. Yeah, <laughs> against the channel, check how you can still them. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this is another arbitrary thing that we um don't know about. When Nynaeve meets up with Elaine again and and Amethira at that little door, was it inside? Was it outside? I went and I read that section again. It's in a hall. <laughs> it's in the palace. It's not even outside in a courtyard. There's a door from the palace leading directly into the street. So that's weird. But, but you know, that's circumvented by the fact that Robert Jordan clearly says that it's heavily uh, reinforced and bolted. But then Julian also just picks the lock and opens the door. I'm sure <laughs> well, Julian's Julen. not the only lock pick in town. <laughs> um, speaking of Julian, there's, uh, there's no mention of him hitting on Amathera yet. Oh. I reread that whole section and there's there's no mention of it. Uh, although, you know, it's only a matter of time before that starts. And then Jody, you've asked, does Nynaeve break her block soon? Mm. The answer is not quite. Book six. Mm. All right. In Ibudar. Wow. Yeah. Oh, There's a whole section that. that I've forgotten about where Nynaeve actually does capture Mogilian with an Adan. And there's time that they spend together. And then Mogilian gets away again, I think, I assume. Mm. And um, then has an attempt on on Nynaeve's life. And that's when Lan saves her. So it's still a whole other book. And then book six, where it happens. Hmm. All right. Because I actually actually uh, accidentally started reading book six after I finished book four. Because I couldn't... So many names. I forgot which which was the next one. And I'm like, oh, wow. Demandred's like, you know, in the in Shail Ghoul already talking to the dark one. I'm like, wow, that, that was a huge jump. And then, I, oh, no, I'm in the wrong book. <laughs> so, yeah, I've started that book. Um, then we had a couple of listener submissions. Uh, our friend Ian Yellen writes in to remind us that 
Elaine and Nynaeve treat Matt quite terribly after um, he rescues them, obviously, which we've spoken about before. But eventually, Avienda tells Elaine that she has towed to Matt. And she and Nynaeve actually go to Matt and apologize to him for specifically treating him as badly. So they do recognize it. And then Matt just becomes more suspicious of them. <laughs> he doesn't take it at face value at all, which is very, very typical. Uh, we wondered why Black Lodge's sisters don't just tie off the shields that they used, I think specifically when they had the girl shielded in the Stone of Tear. And that's because as soon as you tie off a shield, it can be unpicked, mm. which is, I assume, what Mogedian did when mm. Nynaeve had tied off her shield now yeah. in, um, in the Panarch's Palace. But there, there you go. There's the reason. Like Ian is catching up to some of our older episodes. So as we are asking these questions, ah, he's writing in and, nice. uh, and responding Thanks, to Ian. them. Then the mailman, Richard Jackson, delivers once again. Yeah. And he says, um, when we were asking about Rand, sort of like thinking about like his plan and like what, what he's trying to achieve and stuff, Richard just made it real clear and succinct for me. Like Rand's plan is that he is going to just unite the Aiel and use them to go conquer the wetlands. And I think we sort of touched on maybe that's mm. the plan or not. Maybe I'm giving us too much credit, but um, that's that's the plan that he's working toward. And we'll get to it a bit later, but a lot of that stuff sort of crystallized for me here right at the end of the book. Yes. Uh, when, when Rand is dealing with uh, land fear and talking about, I knew about your trap, you know, and when it was mm. going to be sprung and all that sort of stuff. I floated a wild theory about whether Melaine was ready to lay a bridal wreath at Rand's feet to tie him to the Aiel mm -hmm. because he oh, doesn't yeah. um, think of them as his own people or anything like that. But Richard says, look, um, he thinks that the wise ones know because they have dreamwalkers and dreamers and stuff between them that uh, they think he thinks that they know that Avienda is tied romantically to Rand. Mm. which is another reason why they've put this very obvious spy right next to him to sort of like ensure that that happens. Uh. And Richard is of the opinion that Melaine was saying that she was going to lay Avienda's bridal wreath at Rand's feet herself, like force yeah. the issue. Uh, um, sort of like expediting sense. what they expect is going to, that does make more sense. I mean, yes. Melaine is th one of the more fiery wise ones, but I don't, I don't think she would <laughs> just offer to marry Rand. <laughs> Although, I don't know, I would like to hey, see that. Where does shit has happened in these books? Varen pretty much stated that she's willing to marry any one of the three just to keep tabs on them. Yeah. So it won't absolutely. be the first one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well. Let's get to the good stuff. But not before I do a quick recap of what happened last time. <laughs> Previously on Blood and Ashes, in Emonsfield, the villagers have been fighting off numerous Trolloc attacks. Loyal returns carrying an injured Gaul after successfully sealing the Waygate. Perrin shoots Slayer with an arrow in the Wolf Dream, resulting in an injured Luke fleeing from town. Perrin sends Fael to Camelin with a message to Morgase, but is really just trying to send her to safety. She agrees if Perrin will marry her right on the spot, and they do. Perrin gets married in Book 4. Nynaeve, Elaine, Egeanen, and, or well, with the help of Baldomon, infiltrate the Panarch's palace, disguised as servants. They, uh, well, Elaine bests a Black Archer sister while rescuing the Panarch. Nynaeve finds the domination bands and a seal to the Dark One's prison, but is then confronted by Mogedian, who she bests and shields. 
Another Black Archer sister interrupts them. What was her name, Vili? Linda or Janice? Some arbitrary name. I don't know. Jean. Janine. Janine. The Black sister interrupts them with balefire attacks from that fluted rod, Tarungril, that we know was stolen from the tower. Uh, Nynaeve escapes with the seal and domination bands after the Black Archer sister and Morgidian both just disappear into thin air. Um, When she meets up with Elaine again in Amethera, they leave the palace guarded by Tom, Domon, and a couple hundred of his sailors, and they make it back to the inn where Nynaeve asks Elaine to destroy the domination bands but to no avail, and that's when she asks Doan to drop them in the deepest part of the ocean. Shoo, that is a lot. I mean, the finale for this book has actually been going for a couple of chapters, yeah. you know? like We're in it. We've uh, been in it over the last we, yeah. year. <laughs> we've, we've been edging for like weeks now, <laughs> trying to get to this ultimate... Edging, such a bad <laughs> word to use. It's not a bad word. What's wrong, what's wrong with it? Don't kink shame. Um, <laughs> chapter 56 is called Golden Eyes. And why freaky don't you take us through that one? Too, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of freaky dickies, Vinny, why don't you take us through Golden Eyes? Oh, yeah. Okay. Perrin and Fahil are married, as you said. And this is uh, what was a joyous occasion. And Perrin has uh, sent her away uh, the night before. And she has honored her vow to him to go and ride, ride like the wind. Now, Perrin is sitting in the wine spring inn. It's early morning. It's quiet. It's no fires burning. There's no smell of cooking. It's unlike the wine spring inn in an early morning. And the only sound that there is is Perrin scribbling on paper on already a fourth page in writing this letter to fail. Uh, Pretty much the letter is about him just not wanting to say sorry, but it's just his final goodbye because he he sees them dying. It's they're going to be overrun. Uh, or he sees them winning and he's going to be hanged by the White Lakes. Not sure. I haven't really um, found anything that pushed me either way. But either way, uh, he's used some blotting sand, finishes off the letter, and uh, one of his companions walk in to say, the eel is back. Perrin is now aware. He seals the letter. He nearly writes Fail Bashir on it, but then remembers to write Ibarra. And he's like, oh, man, I've got a wife. Does <laughs> he said, adjust his wedding band. <laughs> he's got to wear the wedding band for seven days. And he has to tell everyone that he sees, look at my wedding band. I'm married now. Red ribbon tied around his arm. And he now even wishes that he had allowed Fail to tie it in his beard as she wanted to. He's obviously a lovesick puppy already missing his girl. Now, uh, the Trollocs are coming from the north and the south, as I said, and they're coming in the thousands. So Perrin gets up. Aram is in the room with him, and he's coming with him. Aram has been his little lapdog babysitting mm-hmm. um, Perrin all along the way. And good so. I will see you later. He gets to his horse, his companions are around him, and they, they move into the green, and in the green, Perrin spots all the women of the woman's circle with all of the other women encircling the children in the green. And they've got anything that they can fashion into a weapon, scythes that's made into spears and um, hay forks that has been extended. They are gearing up and they're like, look, we're the last defense in here. The, if, if the Trollocs break through ranks, we're going to make sure that 
the younger kids and boys and, of course, the balance of the tinkers that have got children strapped to their fronts and backs now to run with young infants and babies, they will be um, making a way clear for them. And Perrin, and they're like, look, Perrin, do you still wanted to apologize and say sorry? I'm not sure if he's saying sorry at the time because he does spot the Ail. And I thought maybe he wants to say sorry to the, uh, not the Ail, the Tuatathan, that mm. sorry for Aram picking up a sword. Mm. Or if he's saying sorry for sending away Fail, but he wants to almost cry at that stage. Either which way, they said to him, look, you need to move on. This is, this is woman's circle business. We've got this covered. And he's like, okay, well, I know more than prodding in more than prodding into women's business, so women's circles business. It's just I'll just move on. So he uh, then instructs the companions after he leaves, and including Aram, that when when shit goes south, you are to break ranks and go back to the woman and carve a way through for them to get the kids out. And Aram's like, no, I go where you go. It's like, oh, goddamn stubborn Aram, and just. Do, do all lords struggle like this? So he likes to reference himself as a lord, but he doesn't want to be called a lord. But anyway, mm. he then uh, moves on and he rides up to the polished turds, all 400 of them. Um, they are all standing out in the green there in rank and file. And uh, Bayer then announces that they'll be leaving. And Perrin is like, the fuck? Leaving? They're like, yeah, no, they they aren't going to stay here uh, uh, to be killed. Uh, or No, sorry, but they're not going to stay here. Their battle is not with them, and they don't trust him as, and they refer to Perrin as Shadow Spawn, and I'm like, but we've had a deal. You stay, I hand myself over to you after the battle, and I'm still, again, committing to that. Like, if you stay and you help us, I'll hand myself over to you. And eventually... Um, Bornold says, Adele, stay, and then shouts command that polish your dirt's cleaner because when you die, you'll <laughs> die clean. Um, hmm. Anyway, Perrin shrugs them off and moves on. He heads to the various ranks along their perimeter now as they've fortified uh, Emensfield. The, he goes to the westward side first, and uh, Abel is in control of the men around the westward. He informs Abel that, look, uh, we've been informed the attack's going to come from the north and the south, so be ready to move men. And he's like, look, 50% of my men is ready to move wherever you want them to go. So as soon as the command comes, they can move. Uh, Perrin then uh, rides to Tam, who's on the southern side. He's going to be facing one of the charges. Uh, Tam is walking like a warder. As I could only imagine, Tam with a sword ready for battle to do. Seven days into it and still as sharp edge ready to go mm. alana is out there and she's uh, messing with the catapults uh, or more so the the ammunition of the catapults the major rocks mm -hmm. they're doing some black magic or blue magic or green magic <laughs> on them and uh, uh to the east side john thane and samuel Corr is uh, in charge uh baron sort of lets it but they ready for it everyone sort of Baron's just checking on his command around and eventually he decides he's going to make his stand in the north uh, maybe partly because that's the direction that fell rode into as well mm -hmm. kind of like trying to you know to have a little cry there about his 
lost love, thinking that they're going to fade and die in this battle. Um, now, Bran supposedly is in charge there, but because Perrin's there, we can pretty much assume Perrin will take charge. Uh, he gives Perrin a deep bow, or as deep as his girth will allow him. Hmm. Ghoul and Chide are there. Um, they are uh, already chauffeured up. Veils on. They are... All they're not doing is knocking their spears against their bucklers ready for battle. They are pumped. Mm -hmm. uh, Luel, who was offered the opportunity to leave as well, and said, no, did, did you expect me to be gone? I like this. This is a great little exchange between Perrin and Luel, where Luel even cracks a joke with him. You're like, you didn't expect me to go. Like, I'm bound to you, Perrin, and I might even be written about in stories as a hero from this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, Baron is like, man, what are you talking about? You're already a hero. <laughs> and I have the little bit of a laugh and a grin there. Um, now, at so Luel has got two wood axes. So it's, they're pretty long-handled, big-headed axes to split wood. And mm. it looks like... Hatchets. In hatchets. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like just, but it's explained. I imagine it would be pretty light for him as well, how you'd be wielding those two wood axes in the faces of Trollocs. Destructively. Very, very much so. Uh, Varen and Thomas is around the area. Thomas is ready to carve away for her. He is looking like a blade with his color-shifting cloak on, and she's uh, spots uh, Baron. And sort of rides up to him, and uh, he says to his surprise to see that her and Alana are still here. I mean, at the end of the day, you just came out here to look for gifted girls, not to be in the middle of a losing battle. And she's mm -hmm. like, Man, I would cut myself in three to stay next to either you or Rand or Matt. That's how interested I am into studying you. So I'm here mm -hmm. for the long haul. And if I could marry you, I would. And parents <laughs> like, uh -uh, I'm married. And he loves that line. For the first time, I could drop it. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got that line now. All packed up. He's married. Uh, Varen uh, sort of snaps that reverie of Perrin about his thinking about his marriage. And as um, his... Uh, you should know, there's a few things that you should know about marrying a Zareen Bashir and what it means. And while he's still like, what do you mean? There's a massive cry of Isom and mm. it has begun. There is a line of Trollocs up on the wood, just outside the firing line of the arrows in the thousands, with fades running up and down with horses Braveheart style, screaming about mm -hmm. freedoms and something, yeah, except the they're screaming, Isom! Isom! <laughs> and they're like, the fuck? They're, they're talking? <laughs> What's happening here? And Varen is mm. like, interesting. Varen's like, no, not interesting. <laughs> this isn't interesting. Perrin doesn't know what the word means or the name means, no. but Varen does, because mm. Isom is mentioned in the Dark Prophecy. Mm. So uh, that's why she says interesting. Mm. But Baron is just like, yeah, nah, not very interesting. Well, there's thousands of them. <laughs> and on the last, the, or the third shout, and the last shout of Isom, they start moving in. And these animals on all fours and hooves and just get bolting. It's uh, not very 
quickly after that, or very quickly after that, uh, Bran yells loose and the first arrows fly. And after that, there wasn't the need to yell for another volley because the men just go on their own accord. By the time mm-hmm. Perrin looked around, some guys are already losing the third arrow. And these arrows rain down on these Trollocs and just start nailing them. But as they fall, others just come from behind, running over the bodies of these Trollocs, and yet more arrows rain down and rain down. And they're like, whoa, Perrin can see already this, this, just too many of them. But arrows keep flying, Trollocs keep running into the defenses, and they spike themselves seeming willingly against the spike defenses to over, over, literally use their bodies as a ladder to get through and break through this. Now the corpses are littering, fades are being shot down. It is all hell is broken loose. It's a massive battle. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, these bodies now start ramming into the defenses and they start getting through and the, the, it's, the battle is on. Perrin is now drawing his axe out and just as he draws his axe out, he needs to plant it square between the eyes of a Trolloc that got through the barrier defenses. Perrin at this time is riding and sending all the, the catapults are throwing these stones into the battle, but they turn into fireballs and explode like bombs as they land. So you've got these bombs blowing up in the battlefield with magic stones that's been green magicked um, up the wazoo. Now, finally, the uh, the black wave or this black tide that keeps flowing to the defenses breaks breaks through. And Perrin yells to them, look, we're going to have to retreat and get in between the houses. And I think his strategy there is between the houses, they can defend a smaller area, that at least mm. they've got that walls to block off there. And as he's still trying to get these men to fall back, a goat-faced Trolloc climbs up on the back of Stepper and wants to grab him around the neck and Stepper rears and with both weight of these men and beasts, Stepper falls over onto Perrin's leg and presumably breaking his leg. He's stuck under and now this, this claws of this monster is trying to grab him around the neck and he's trying to get hold of his axe to fight him off. And as he looks up, a sword slices halfway through the neck of the Strolloc, sort of severing the head pulling out the blade and it's Aram who then spins around in a smooth movement something waiting for some rushes and stabs <laughs> another Trolloc right in the gut and moves on and I'm like good on you okay, damn. finally <laughs> there we go damn taught this freaking tinker how to use a sword and he actually uses it well mm. Perrin gets out under stepper he gets onto his hobbled leg and he gets out of the way just in time as a black hoof slams down where his head was. And there's a fade on his monster horse. Um, it's, it's all out battle now. Baron ducks that black sword as the fade swings the sword for his head. As he ducks it, literally shaving his hair, he rolls over smooth movement and chops off the horse's leg in one brilliant move. Like in Braveheart as well. <laughs> <laughs> the horse fade falls forward. 
um, because horses don't stand well on three legs. Um, and as the fade falls, and just as he turns parents ready, and he plants the axe square in the middle of his face where his eyes would have been. As the fade is falling. Mm. As it's falling. I thought he had hit him as he had hit the ground. Like While he's falling, Perrin hits him in the face. It just helps better. him down. Also just checked, um, Perrin's leg is not broken. It's pained close to breaking. But yeah. Broken. I think, it, well, maybe. It's a little bit of a fracture. The words are pained close to, to breaking. breaking. Yes, I know that. But I'd like to think that he's <laughs> he still does not accept it. Close believe to it. <laughs> Anywho, Perrin wipes out a fade with one swift blow. It does its snake in the rushes move, throttling around. Thrashing about. Yep. And they move on. It's like, and that's when Perrin realized, like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah, the women are between us. And the, not woman, the girls and boys. Women so young that they're actually girls still. And the mm. same for the boys fighting there. They actually were the Matt men. sisters. So sisters and brothers and the, the kids, but they are there holding the line. And you can actually see, okay, well, this is this, this influx of, of numbers is helping them hold their line and fight off the black tide of beasts. Taishama Netherin. It's the only reason the line is holding. Mm. Yeah. Red Banner of Manetherin. Next moment. Young messenger runs up to Perrin, grabs him. He's like, Lord Perrin, listen to me. And he's <laughs> thinking, shit, what? where am I going to do? Perrin is thinking how he's going to do this. And young lad eventually gets his attention and said, like, Tam sent me, or Master Althor sent me. The Trollocs are being attacked from behind. And Master Alvia seems to think that they are shouting Devon Ride. And Perrin then sort of gets like he gets back on stepper and he's like looking and he can see the second volley of arrows arching in the sky already and start pinning all the Trollocs from behind and the fades. Now the Trollocs are, are in disarray. They, they, they're turning and even mm. turning on the, the fades, they start killing yeah. each other. They don't know where to go. And the arrows just keep flying. And Perrin can see Swallow and Fael. And time stands still. And Perrin is just in love. And everything just goes <laughs> slow-mo. He doesn't see bodies anymore. He just sees her face. And he's just, oh man, stoked. Pause there for a sec. This part confused me a little bit. Because Devon Ride is south of Eamon's Field. And Fael went north. I can explain that for your... you. It's in my chapter. Just relax okay. your slacks. Just sit, sit back. Okay. You need to read with a lot of attention. <laughs> Uncle Villy's on Let me it. take a sip of water. Okay. Because <laughs> Tam was at the southern border, right? No. T uh, Tam was south. Tam yes. was... Yeah. Bran was north. Now, yes. the Devon Ride people did come from the south, and yes, failed the ride north. But for now, first we deal with the immediate moment. Um, the men are getting up, they're moving forward, they're realizing what is happening. The the boy returns and he's like, Lord Perrin, Lord Perrin, it is men from Devon Ride. It is. And he's like, Perrin is like so stoked, he just ruffles his head like, what's your name, young man? And he's like, I'm Jame Ibarra. And he's, oh. like, I and he's like, I think I'm your cousin. 
And parents <laughs> like, what? And he he's just holding back tears. He just wants to cry because this far he'll and he's got family left. Yeah, I didn't even think he knew that he had a cousin. Um, and he says, well, young cousin James, tell your children and your grandchildren about today. And when James said, like, you girls are horrible. <laughs> grandchildren, yucky. Grandchildren, yuck, not going to happen. He's like, yeah, you're right. We'll see about that. He's going to run off to Han now and tell Han about this uh, him being mm. uh, parent, master parent, lord parent's cousin. Super stoked. He's got his story. And that's when Perrin rides over bodies. Doesn't even notice it. It's just a road of Trollocs dodging the the, 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 the snake-like quiverings of dying fates. And he rides, and it is all the way up to Fahil, and he stops next to Stepper. And she looks up at him, and she's like, I, I never said. And she starts explaining furiously why she didn't leave for... Um, the intended quest, which was to go mm. to the queen and get help and tell the story mm. of what happened. Just like, I never said when I'll get, I, I and she dies her way through that. And Perrin mm. doesn't say a thing. He just looks at her and he sits there taking in this moment and she just keeps explaining. And eventually she's just like, just, just say something. And he said, I love you. And then, they embrace and she hugs him like she's squeezing him in half. And she mm. explains that she rode north and she mm. found the men ready and it didn't take much for her to turn them and bring them. And she knew it was the right thing. From Watch Hill? Yeah, from Watch Hill. Um, not even Tenobia had led men into battle, even though she tried. And she's mm. going to one-up Denobia big time now with this thing. <laughs> um, and Perrin can't understand, but what about Devon Wright? Like, where did they come from? She's like, the messenger that came the night before and the last message that he could get out before he died was like, we are on our way. Mm. Mm -hmm. We come, bro. She figured it out, but she didn't mm. want to plant false hope if it was wrong, that it was a rider from Devon Wright coming to let them mm. know they are on their way. So that she figured that if they're coming from the north and they're coming from the south and she's coming from the north and they're coming to the south, they've effectively flanked them completely. And that's what happened. So mm -hmm. the, the two rivers folk of, uh, of all the towns there pulled together and they pulled off a major victory. And as they... Huge. Embraced Perrin lifting Fail out of her saddle onto his pommel and just stoked. And the whole village has come out after their victory. Some still firing some arrows at some snake-like fades squibbling about. <laughs> and they're all making a big circle. Squibbling. And who, who decides to come out of the village? The pristine-looking, white-garbed cunts of the light. I mean, children of the light. <laughs> no, no, you had it right the first time. <laughs> and these fuck knuckles have not done a single thing. They demand entrance into the circle, and old Jared Byer spitting out the works of now, right? This is us now coming to arrest you, dark friend and murderer. And parents like, whoa, 
not so fast. <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking calm mental yourself. Mental gymnastics these guys would have to do to convince themselves that Perrin is a dark friend after this battle against <laughs> hordes of Shadowspawn where he personally killed a number of them. No, it's they can't do that math. They don't do that math. They think that this is still part of his plan of escape as a dark friend. I know. His plan was to let the whole village die and then escape. That's, that is his plan. <laughs> That's why they didn't want to fight, because that is his plan. So dumb. Anyway, and parents like, oh, just, just hold on. Where were you, White Lokes? You weren't in the battle. Our deal was that you help and I hand over. You didn't help. Where were you? And then Daisy Conga, a Conga, steps in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, hold on. I know where they were. They were sitting looking pretty for a Sunday dance on their horses and didn't move. They just stood there. That's why we women joined the ranks because we knew if we didn't move, we had to stand in for 400 men and we did it better than them, which they did. And now Jared Byer is throffing. He's so angry because... Earlier, Perrin also told them, if you want bravery, look at the woman behind me. Mm. So now already the woman was braver then and acted as well while they were sitting polishing their turds to look shiny <laughs> for the death that wouldn't come. <laughs> Fucking white lokes. I hate them. Anyway, Jared then yeah. decides to draw a hand length of sword in anger. And as he drew that half length and the oblivious beast of a white leg behind him decided to do the same, probably our 400 bows get drawn at the same time (laughs) at them and say, like, let's do this. (laughs) Don't bring a knife to a gunfight, motherfucker. (laughs) Anyway. Bring a sword to an arrow fight. Yeah. They are furious and they will... And parents like leave you leave not just here you leave the two rivers go back to your country don't return remember this place we'll we fuck things up (laughs) (laughs) and no certain terms this is not dark friend place you haven't helped anyone yet all you've done was casting accusations of dark friend and allowing us to get murdered leave Mm. Uh, men from Devon Ride or from Watchill, I cannot recall. Just ask Perrin then at that moment, can they make sure that these punks leave? They'll escort it's them Watch Hill. There's Watchill's Because they go back to Watch Hill, so yeah. they escort them north back to and their Perrin's town. Perrin's like, thumbs up. And uh, everyone's like, hooray for Lord Golden Eyes. Hooray for Lord Perrin. And Fahil is like, I'm as forward as a Damani girl right now. Can uh, we go <laughs> back to that inn? You and me, <laughs> we need to go lay down, but you don't get to sleep. Sex Leading life. troops into battle does things to her. <laughs> she is worked up. So that's why I end that there with sex line. <laughs> and then paid in fame. Fuck. It's like oh, we've fuck just dealt with one, one sack of shit, like people. A bitter aftertaste. Oh, God. It's like... So this really, this thing is sitting in a... Sorry, this just reminded me. You were telling us when you read the last chapter of this book and you make a cup of coffee, don't <sighs> do that because your coffee is going to be cold. This is this like, 
you just finished, you grab that cup of coffee and it's ice cold. That's like oh, that's like Hayden Fane. Mm. Fuck. Oh, yes. This 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 lunatic is sitting in an oak tree, <laughs> spitting as he's like cursing Manetherin. They've done it to him in the past, now they're doing it to him again. And curse Rand. Rand is not fucking even there. But it's Rand's <laughs> fault. It's Manetherin's fault. It's everything's fault. It's fucking Isom's fault. It's everyone's fault. He's gonna kill them all, starting and Tavalon, let's go there now. He's just <laughs> gonna fuck right off to Tavalon now. Um, as crazy as a bag of cats. Damn it! Could they not have killed this fucking guy in the ways the first time when they saw him there? They should have just ended him. Anyway, well, they had him in a jail cell in Feldara as well. Like, I mean, again, they could have slipped a knife like into his two. throat slowly. <laughs> yeah, Stabbed. Billy, you suggested that when I pushed back against Moraine's murderous tendencies. <laughs> Murder him. There's nothing wrong with that. Not that guy. These guys so filthy. It, oh. Anyway, Baden falls out of the tree laughing, as insane that is, and him and his not white cloak group of men that have now finally mm. discarded the uniform and are the, looking like the rabble and wretched pieces of shit that they are, are now going to go to Tavalon. Like they're not even going to make it past the gate cards, or maybe they will because that other wretched Eli doesn't control that side. So, to be continued, and that is the mm. end of that amazing battle chapter. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? It it's was so good, beautiful. You did a good job, Vili. You you built up yeah. slowly, but it ended on a high. Like you could see by my posture, it's completely changed. <laughs> <laughs> I was lying back in the chair. Now I'm like right up against the mic. It's uh, it is just a great chapter. It starts very somber, like mm. you almost feel the death of everyone coming, and it just that it reminds me of to, to the fifth day and dawn. Look to the east, mm. wait for <laughs> yes, my coming, yeah. and it's yes. that that moment where you are in your last few men battling thousands and thousands and they, then out comes the white wizard on his horse <laughs> this time the i don't know what color would fail be and her archers well, she's always dressed in dark clothes black the black beauty on swallow <laughs> did you have anything that you wanted to call out specifically joe because as you can imagine i have a number of things to dive into. Really? Because I thought like Vili just covered every single point. <laughs> Might as well just have read the chapter. It was he pretty... did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My things are just calling out specific little moments in there that I that I really loved. No, you go for it. One of them being uh, Perrin, when he writes that note to Fail, uh, he thinks to himself after writing it, oh, I don't have the right words. But it's like, it's a beautiful passage. It is succinct <laughs> yeah. and like to the point and, you know, heart wrenching. It is, it is amazing. Something like, you know, when, when the sun shines on you, that's me smiling at you. Yeah. Like I don't that. have the right yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. Page four of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> he knows he has words. He just doesn't know if they're the right words. Yeah. Oh man. It's also, um, uh, Gaul and Chayad are fighting back to back. Mm. Oh man. I had that. I never mentioned that. And after the battle, they actually emerge like holding hands. Yeah. Like how far have they come? You know, like they're walking out of the battle, actually holding hands in front of everyone. That, that's, that was also just a little moment that melted my heart. Mm. And book four as well, like early days. Okay, cool. Golden Chide, like established. 
having big bold letters. Parent chops a fade in the face as they're falling. <laughs> um, but immediately after that, when the women start joining the battle, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Go. Let's rewind back to the fade, the axe, and between the eyes. I envisioned it as the the leg being cut off. Perrin is down. He had to sort of parry and roll down. Chop the leg, low level of the horse. Horse mm -hmm. goes forward. He turns. Fade goes forward over. And I would mm -hmm. imagine him fall and rolling to Perrin. And the axe going, splitting his head between the eyes. Now, the way that you describe it is while he's falling, Perrin is swinging the axe and chopping off the top of his head, which could That's how I imagined be it. Better. I mean, that is by no means the, the golden rule by which we should <laughs> measure the accuracy of our interpretation here. Like, I mean, I'm just imagining about who, who knows, who knows what what like images of this battle I've retained from when I was in high school, right? Like, mm. I, mean, I could be just re-remembering what I misread 20 years ago. But either way, I love both of them. Like it's yeah. It's, either way. Yes. So the, the moment that I, that I really love, I'm going to tip my hand. This is actually my favorite moment from these chapters is when the women join the battle, the very first one, like when parents busy fighting, he suddenly, he notices Marin, Alvia. Mm. here in between him and the Trollocs. And she walks behind a Trolloc with a butcher's knife, hamstrings it, so it drops down to one knee, and then she walks to its back and she severs its spine at its neck, mm. like she's actually butchering a pig or an yeah. animal or something. But the way it's described, it's like calm. She's just walking, <laughs> doing the thing that she would do in the kitchen or in the abattoir, like the, the, like the slaughtering <laughs> yard or something, just like going about her business, dismantling this trollic piece by piece it is amazing i fucking loved it like I'm, I'm tearing up now like just thinking about it and then like the passage immediately after that is uh, matt's sisters like um bode or someone is picked up by a trollic by the hair like he mm. lifts her up and as he lifts her up she stabs it in the chest and then her sister stabs a, a spike through its chest from behind like mm. the sisters and also not like crying or freaking out like mm. they're young and here they are like with the wherewithal to kill the Trolloc while it's picking her up by the hair, you know, and mm. it's just, it, it is a moment that has stuck with me. That specific moment, like the woman joining the battle in that very, like you called out Joe, in that very sort of like Manetheran tradition, right? Like the woman also joining the battle and not standing back, no shrinking violets in the two rivers. Oh, no, um, not at all. I, I remember that from when I was a teenager, when I read the stories and how that, like just hit home and when like in the lead up to this like how the women are sort of like uh taking half rations because the men are the ones that have to mm. fight and the and here the white cloaks not joining the battle but the women are in there and the women are the only reason that the line is holding and then the way in which it describes how these common like th these characters that you've read about before are just calmly or well, you know in inverted commas calmly going about killing these nightmare creatures <laughs> yeah. is it's just so fucking rad I just love it so much. If you put yourself in the mind of those women who have encircled the children, their last mm. act would be to defend and probably give our lives while the men are, have failed or after the men have failed to get these kids mm -hmm. out to go and hide in the woods. And then, then standing there hearing the commotion of battle and looking to 400 saddled soldiers 
not moving. Just sitting there. And the anger that must be going through them and that awakening that Manetheran spirit. Just mm -hmm. saying, right, ladies, let's go and do this. And then yeah. all going and the young boys joining in and saying, like, we're old. And they're all just going oh. in and saying, fuck this. We've got to kill all this black tide of Trollocs so that we can boot out these fucking children of the light <laughs> out of our town. Yeah. There's a poignant line about those boys where, like Robert Jordan says, um, some of these boys have never even shaved and some of them never will. Mm. It's like, mm. oh, Robert, but my heart, come on. That's, come, that's, that's the beauty of it. Baron sits in, in the moment of the village coming up to them. And he, he just goes through the names, one name after the other name after the other name, mm. and they are all there, all alive. I don't think anyone fell in this battle. There's no reference made to one death. There's Well, the implication that some of the boys will never shave is that some of the boys Yeah, there's, there, that's parents' thoughts before the battle. It's his thoughts. Hey. I want nothing more than for that to be true. It is <laughs> truth. I mean, Don't put it, it is like it is canon. <laughs> <laughs> Ten thousand Trollocs attacked a village, and no one inside died. Hmm. Vili's stamp of of approval. This is canon. No, Emmonsfield <laughs> has died. Vili, I'm loving your commitment to the. Um, the enduring nature of the Eamons Fielders, like I've, not even I've willing to entertain this, I've the idea. I've lived this chapter for five weeks. So <laughs> let's, let's just, let's just understand how I'm amped up. Like it's, it's yeah. Carry on. I also love how when parent tells Bornal to leave, his words to him exactly are, you are going now, <laughs> not go now. Or like, here's an instruction. It's a statement of fact. You are going now. Yeah. You are leaving. Evansfield, <laughs> the two rivers, the works. This is what's happening now. You are leaving, whether you've realized it yet or not. Which is amazing. And then um, is it at the end of this chapter where uh, someone calls him Lord Perrin or something and he shouts after them, don't call me that. I'm just a blacksmith. <laughs> Lord blacksmith. <laughs> after, after all this, I'm just a blacksmith. <laughs> no, Perrin, you can give that one up now. That might be the last. That better be the last time he tries to use that use that line, because from here on out, he is most certainly Lord Perrin Golden Eyes. A mm -hmm. um, couple comments from uh, old mate. What's his name? Payton Fane sitting in the tree. Uh, he he mentions that why did Isom stop bringing Trollocs? This must be because of the sealing of the gate that mm -hmm. Loyal and Gold did. So. The fact that it's sort of putting putting Paden Fane out means that it was at least somewhat effective. Like, mm. who knows how much worse it would have been if they didn't go seal that gate? So, I mean, mm. cannot understate the um, the influence that Loyal and Gaul had on the outcome of this battle. Right? Like, Loyal most certainly, like even though he jokes about it, is a hero, whether he likes. Yeah, it or not. absolutely. You can quantify yeah. at least ten thousand yeah. Trollocs. Panfan also says how the Red Eagle had harried him so long ago. And I wondered, like, hmm. So, obviously, this is a Mordeth memory. Mm -hmm. What was Mordeth's relationship with Menetherin? And as you recall, like, Aridol and Menetherin were allies. And then Aridol was Didn't supposed come. to be the city that came to help them. 
at the fall of Manetherin and they never arrived. And it was actually the Aes Sedai, the Amran seat at the time that had intervened because she was, uh, she was jealous of Alessandre's power and uh, popularity. So the Amran seat, when they found out, had prevented Aradol from helping Manetherin. They deposed her and stilled her. But Mordeth in Aradhol had influenced the king there and the prince from Manetherin had gone to Aradhol to go talk to them or, you know, seek help or whatever it was. But he had convinced the king of Aradhol to capture and torture and imprison the prince. So the statement that the Red Eagle had harried him so long ago seems weird because there were never battles between the two. Um, so I guess what I'm doing is I'm posing a question to our listeners. If you have any more <laughs> insights into what Paden Fan could be meaning here, let me know. Because I think it's maybe a, a personal thing, harried him specifically, um, maybe. and they found out what they had done to the prince or the the maybe the few survivors of uh, of that battle that went after him or something. There's some some mm. side story we're not aware of. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I'm just writing fan fiction. That's what hey, happened. That's that's half of what we do here. <laughs> Janine and the Battle of Aradol. <laughs> Good old Janine. Do, do you guys have anything more to add to that one? Or shall we no, progress no. to phase two of this three-phased <laughs> finale? <laughs> phase two, please. Okay, I think, then. I think we've got to go on. It's, uh, it's then sticking. Let's do that. Uh, chapter 57 is called A Breaking in the Threefold Land. So we join Rand and Matt and Lan and Moraine and Avienda and Egwene and the Wise Ones and the Tardard and, <laughs> and that gecko <laughs> every Ayulman and his dog. <laughs> <laughs> as they are riding up towards Al Qaedal, as um, Rand had requested for the Dreamwalkers to let all the other Ayul know to do, um, they are accompanied and i mean they the the party that we're familiar with are accompanied by a shit ton of tardad ahil right like the the custom for meeting at al-qaedal is for the chiefs and some of the sept chiefs to come with a couple mm. of their honor guards from their respective previous warrior societies before becoming chiefs um but rand had said no we're going to take everyone because kuladin had disappeared in the middle of the night and rand had a suspicion mm. that kuladin was up to something so he said bring everybody so as the tardad have left um cold rocks uh, the other septs of Tardad had sort of joined with them along the way with some of their sept chiefs and some more warriors and stuff, resulting in a force, I think Rand says, around 15,000 Aeol spears, um, which is no joke. Mm -hmm. So they're riding up towards what Rand calls like just some, not mountains of mist or dragon wall sized mountains, but just like these slabs of rock in, in the distance um, as they approach where Al-Qaedal is. Rand has an honor guard of Maidens of the Spear. Um, chiefs usually have, like I said before, like they've got an honor guard of the, the the warriors from the warrior society that they came from. But because Rand doesn't have one, he does have maidens because his mother was a maiden. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Adelin or one of the other maidens explains how cool it is that if a maiden of the spear falls pregnant and she has a baby, but she wants to remain a maiden, she gives that baby away and she never knows what family that baby goes to. They mm. never hear from that baby again. That baby never knows that it is the baby of a maiden or anything like that. So Rand is the first child of a maiden to come back to the mm. maidens, which is another reason why they feel so protective over him. Um, so this is the first time 
that that's happened. And now Rand has this honor guard of maidens, which is a recurring theme that we see throughout the books, yeah. right? Like Rand has his maidens with him all the time, which is also just so rad. I love that. To the very end, you know, maidens with Rand all the time. Um, so as they're riding with, you know, and Kyle Shayogi and Hadnan Kadir and like all the, the peddlers and Asmodian and <laughs> Isandre and all the other nerd duels from that peddler wagon are also with them. They're all coming because there's going to be this big fair at al Dal where all the all the clans are meeting. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity for trade. And they sort of crest this ridge before they get to um, al Dal proper. And below them is where this fair is gathered for this meeting. There's two to 300 low wallless tents and pavilions set up all uh, all over for people to display their wares and people are sort of moving between them, sort of like a, like a bazaar type thing. B-A-Z, not B-I-Z. Either or. And um, mm. on the surrounding hills, there are five other camps. Um, four of them are sort of normal size and then one of them is huge. And Rand suspects that's probably the Shido. Um, and even as they arrive, um, Rand thinks it's a good thing that he broke custom and brought all these these Tata Ahil with him because the Shido are obviously going to be a problem. They are going to mm. cause shenanigans. <laughs> um, I think we should also just refer to them as Shido dogs. As Shido dogs, yes. Mm. They're, they're like Elida. And what's the other one? <laughs> Kulid and Mokhdin. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow yeah. dog Savannah. Oh, Savannah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Shadows seem to be making their way to the mountains nearby um, and sort of lining up at this narrow pass into the mountains proper. So the Shadow had just recently arrived and are sort of moving some of their numbers towards um, where we know Al Qaeda is, you know, through that narrow pass. Um, Rook tells Rand that there would already be discussions. Um, underway between the clans that are already there uh, he explains that if two if two clans or two chiefs meet they discuss water if three clans meet they discuss water and grazing and rand goes um what happens when four clans meet and Ruach goes they dance the spears <laughs> and now there are six clans so you know this whole situation is a powder keg um as Rand's sort of sitting up on this ridge looking at everything, Moraine asks if she can accompany Rand. Um, but Amis just says to her, um, you know, this is this is men's business. If you do this, then the men are start they're gonna start wanting to involve themselves in a wise one's business. And that's why we don't sort of we don't mix in each other's business, so it's not your place. And Moraine tries to sort of say, like, maybe Land should go with you to just have another eye on your back, and Rand just says, No, no. the maidens carry He's my honor. Maidens, that's it. Yeah. They, they'll they'll do just fine. Don't you worry about that. Yo, that's like Moraine can't insert anyone at this moment onto Ran. It's like just she's not even land. She's still trying to keep her hand on the wheel, and it's just not working. The boat has sailed. Um, yeah. Um, Bear also cautions Rand to be careful, almost like she can read his mind because Rand is feeling tired from lack of sleep, and Bear says to him, "Tired men make mistakes, so just." Be on your guard. Um, and then below, people start sort of taking note of their presence up on the hill. And then sort of the, the Tardard and the wagons pass by them and start moving down into the, um, the sort of the, the valley where the fair is. Um, Egwene comes up to Rand and reminds Rand that he doesn't fight alone, that others fight for, um, fight for him on his behalf. 
Uh, and he immediately thinks of Perrin and Eamon's field before asking her, um, what do you mean? But then Moraine again chimes in with, you know, I fight for your rand and so does Egwene. And Egwene and Moraine have like a little bit of a, like a moment between them that Rand is pretty sure he shouldn't have been cognizant of, but he can sense some tension between them. I don't know if this is Egwene maybe sort of now ingratiating herself with the wise ones a little bit, maybe feeling less mm. um, like she is subject to Aes Sedai uh, rules and that sort of thing. She she is acting a little bit, she's not acting like an accepted or, a, you know, a subordinate of a full-blown Aes Sedai. She's, you know, she's differing in opinion with Moraine, to put it lightly. Um. Moraine sort of just goes on about like, oh, you force the age lace around you and blah, 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 all the Tavern bullshit we're quite well mm-hmm. familiar with. Um, but all Rand can think about is um, how Egwene is actually acting quite Aes Sedai these days. Like he can see the change in her already. So he doesn't necessarily think of her as his village betrothed in which he can confide anymore. That that ship has sailed. Um, below them, again, the Aeol are starting to crowd around the peddler wagons that have now made their way down there. Um Jason Natal and Kadir, the two men, are trying to speak urgently with Kylie Shiogi and Asandre separately. Like they're both trying to control these women who are quite obviously irate and who apparently for days now have been shooting daggers at each other, right? Like they cannot stand each other um, for reasons which, again, we, we know. Um, Ran just warns Egwene and everyone to be on their guard. And... I can't remember who corrects him. One of the Aiel, I think, that says, or maybe even Ruach, that says, don't worry, or one of the wise ones, don't worry, there, there won't be any fighting yet because it goes against custom. But here Rand is like, you guys don't know what I know. And this is what I was talking about before, Joe, where some stuff had like crystallized for me. Rand knows that one of the Forsaken is here, probably two mm-hmm. in their midst, and that there is a trap to be sprung, and that one of them is going to spring at first. So he's warning them against, look, Anything can happen, right? So don't just worry about the Shido or like dancing of the spears. Shit's going to hit the fan here. Be ready. Matt, out of the blue, asks if he can come along with Rand, muttering about luck in the old tongue. Rand Rand just says, yes, Matt, you can come. Like, um, he he seems surprised that Matt wants to come and doesn't want to spend time with the the peddler's wagons because Matt's been sort of like buzzing around to Sandre for a while now. Uh, but he's more than happy to have Matt come along. And then um, Ranch's sister, Ruach, so isn't it about time? And Ruach goes, yes, it should be any time. And then these pipes start playing, and Ruach goes, any time now. You know, like he, the, the timing was exactly right. And as they advance, these pipes start playing, and the Tardad starts singing this battle song about washing the spears and all that sort of stuff. And I was a bit confused in the beginning. I didn't realize it was only the Tardis that was singing it. I thought it was some of the Aiel like in the fairground or in the campments, like all the Aiel in, in the area, but it's actually specifically t- the Tardis. And they are veiling themselves. Mm. Like they are getting ready to lay down the law, right? If anyone steps to them, it's fucking 15,000 of them. Yeah. It's no fucking Listen, mean Listen, he has a bit of pedantic math that, that made me think about it. Morris, you're going to love it. Now, mm. when you say 15,000 Aiel spears, we know that the Aiel carry three spears each. Is that only 5,000 Aiel <laughs> with three spears each? Or is that 45,000 spears in total, 15 times three? The latter. Okay, gotcha. 
So 15,000 men, 45,000 spears. Well, men and women. Gotcha. All right, continue. Um, so anyway, Rand, Matt, Ruach, and the Maidens, a um, couple of the Sep Chiefs and their guards, they step off toward the mountain passage as well, where the Shido are sort of lining up to, to go in. But as they go down the slope towards it, um, they stopped sort of near the fair by um, some more Aiel, and in particular, a heavyset Aielman named Manduin, who turns out is the Sep Chief of is one of the Sep Chiefs of the Goshen Aiel. And he tells Ruach that he's surprised to see the Tardot break tradition by turning up en masse. Uh, but Ruach just basically replies with, times change. And Should <laughs> boy, happens. do they. <laughs> yeah. Um, Manduin explains that Savannah had pushed for the chiefs to meet early, which is why the Shida have already headed in there and some of the chiefs are already in Al-Qaradal, um, despite some of the other clan chiefs seeing no reason to do so. But Savannah is obviously cognizant of the fact that she needs to sell Kuladin as the Karakhan and he who comes with the dawn before Rand and the Tardad arrive to upset her plans. So one of the wise ones standing next to Manduin says that we hear that he who comes with the dawn um, has come from Ruidian, that the Karakhan will be announced today. And then Rand just pipes up. He's not even Ruach. He's not even letting Ruach answer. He just goes, then someone spoke to you a prophecy. And he immediately moves the procession along. He's like, yes, that is happening today. I am he. Everyone, enough of this idle banter. Let's move along. Matt mutters in the old tongue again something about luck. And, um, well, he mutters in the, old, in the old tongue. And the translation I looked up is luck carry me through. So Matt is just saying, oh, fuck, here it comes. hope I walk out of this one. And if I do, it'll be because of my luck. Um, in the meantime, the Tardad have lined up in front of the Shido at the pass, still singing their battle song, still veiled. Um, so the Shido, who are there, and in lesser in number, I think it even says the Shido know how to count. So they actually make way for Rand and Ruach, Matt and the Sep Chiefs um, to move through this narrow canyon. Uh, which eventually opens up into Alcadal itself, which is a big open bowl, sort of steep sloped um, sides all around. It's almost perfectly round, except at the far end, there seems to be a ridge sort of overhanging that resembles a cresting wave, um, which I think has probably got something to do with the acoustics. And the, it seems like the stage that they can speak mm. from is also under that. So you can stand up there and when you speak in a normal voice, that your voice carries around the whole um, the whole. Bowl, I guess. The whole bowl. Amphitheater. The whole bowl. Yes. Yeah, kind of, yes. Um, inside the bowl, the Aiel are grouped by warrior society and not by clan, sort of to help keep the peace. Like the tradition is, okay, stone dogs, you go sit there, red shields, you go sit there, you know, like let's keep uh, clan politics out of this. But the Sep chiefs and the clan chiefs are sitting by clan, and they're sitting right at the stage below that overhang. Rand can see from a distance a specific redhead that he recognizes, and he sees Kuladin uh, <laughs> makes him out there. So um, he knows, okay, Kuladin is in here. Kuladin is not a chief, so his presence here is, you know, signposting to Rand exactly what's happening. Um, but Savannah is on the stage, busy addressing all the chiefs sitting in front of it. Um, she's a pretty woman, well short of her middle years, which surprised me. I always imagined her as sort of like middle age, like 50s, you know, uh, like is, is the sort mm. of age that I'd always pictured her. But she is well short of her mm. middle years. And she married the Shido clan chief when she was 16. Mm. All right. 
now. I also pictured so her. She older. is actually still quite young. I read somewhere online that she actually always had feelings for Kuladin, but married for power. And mm. now that um, you know, seems the, a shyder chief, thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it is a very shyder thing to do, isn't it? A shoddy thing. Shady. A shoddy shido. Shitty shoddy shido thing to do. Shady. <laughs> <laughs> So Savannah's standing on the stage and she's trying to get the chiefs to let Kuladin speak. So first she's asking, asking for permission to let Kuladin just get on the stage without getting speared to death for breaking tradition. <laughs> Spear him to death. And <laughs> Please. Um, but they're, the, the chiefs, they're just not hearing it. She speaks for Suladric because Suladric is dead. And until another clan chief is dead, uh, is, is raised for the Shido, she is it. They also say that the Dreamwalkers told them that Kuladin was denied entry to Ruidian. So they know there's no chance that he's going to have any right to stand on the stage and address them. Rand notices that the Aiel in the bowl number around three to 4,000. So there's a lot of people in here. Um, and they're starting to take notice of Rand and his approaching party. Bale of the Goshen and, other, and um, some of the other chiefs, they start changing the topic uh, when they all start noticing Rand's approaching party. So they're not even listening to Savannah about Kulid and they're like, all right, cool. Well, while we're here, let's talk about other stuff. But then Rand and his party start approaching. And when they do, they all go quiet. And they sort of obviously can see that Ruach is also breaking tradition here by bringing more than one wetlander in here. So um, they ask him about it. They say, like, well, what are you thinking bringing this wetlander here? And they were told that he who comes with the dawn has emerged from Rewidian, that surely this can't be him. You're not coming here to tell us that this wetlander is he who comes to the dawn. And Savannah uses this as an excuse for Kuladin um, to be allowed to speak, saying that if Ruach is doing this, then surely Kuladin can speak as well. But while she's even trying to make a cogent argument, Kuladin's already scrambled up onto the stage and he's pulled his sleeves down, revealing his dragon tattoos, one on each arm, and he starts shouting, I am the Kara Khan. Mm. Right, so... Throughout this exchange, imagine Kuladin standing on stage. He doesn't understand how the acoustics of this place works. He is shouting the whole time. And whenever Rand talks, he's just talking in a level, like a like a softer tone and knowing that his voice carries everywhere. So he just always looks like the the much Calm more one. cool and collected customer than Kuladin, who's just ranting and raving like a psychopath. This reminds me of Game of Thrones as well. Any man who has to say, I am king, is no true king. it's a good line Um, so the Aiel that are not tired are raw with approval Kuladin, he's got dragon tattoos on each arm he's the Kara Khan Um, everyone is celebrating but the chiefs look completely stunned Mm. and Matt starts like uh, moving the horses a bit closer (laughs) like um, okay guys let's let's just ready for a quick escape if we have to um Kuladin proclaims himself the bringer of change that he'll lead the Aiel across the dragon wall to reclaim the wetlands. He's all about like, I'm going to restore us to our former glory and we're going to go across the dragon. We're going to decimate everyone and take everything for ourselves. Um, and Rand is a little bit surprised, but he readies his terang, his ungril in his pocket mm. and he steps up beside Kuladin after taking off his own coat. Kuladin's not even paying attention to Rand. Rand's taken off his coat and he undoes his laces on his sleeves and he puts his arms in the air as well and lets his sleeves drop down. And now there's two guys with dragon tattoos <laughs> on both arms standing up on the stage. As the gathered Aiel in the bowl sort of start taking notice, they quieten down again because what the fuck is going on here? But Kuladin is still ranting and raving. 
because uh, he's un- unaware of Rand's display. But slowly he cottons on to what must be happening because he can read the room finally. Mm-hmm. And um, when he does sort of realize, he pivots to an attack on Rand's unspoken claim, saying that Rand is a wetlander and an interloper. There's no way that he can be um, the Karakhan. But Rand says that, yes, he is a wetlander. But what does the prophecy say about he who comes with the dawn? Born of the blood, but raised by those not of the blood. Um, his mother, Shail, was a maiden. His father was Janduin, um, clan chief of the Tardad. Um, where did the Ail go searching for he who comes with the dawn? They crossed the dragon wall in the wetlands where he was raised. And there's a reason for that. Sound logic. Absolutely. Here's Rand using logic and reason, right? Not just volume. So the clan chiefs, they sort of nod in acknowledgement. Wise guys, these guys, right? Like they, mm. they know what's up. They've, they've been to Rudy and they know the fucking prophecy. And they yes, know the shit. exactly. Um, so they so acknowledge Rand's point. Uh, but Kulidan brushes it off saying the words of the prophecy have probably changed over time, which is just fucking Convenient. Weak. Grasping at straws now. Totally. So um, Ruach interjects and says that he saw uh, Kuladin being denied entry to Ruidian. Kuladin couldn't have gotten these tattoos in Ruidian. Uh, but Kuladin counters that with the idea that the Aes Sedai manipulated the wise ones to prevent him from going in and that Moraine went to Ruidian herself. Huh? These guys didn't tell you that, did they? As well as that she gave Rand his tattoos, that Moraine gave Rand fake tattoos using the one power. Uh, plus Rand and Moraine killed Manduin, his brother, um, which is just crazy. I mean, he might believe killing of Manduin, but he has fake tattoos. Like, I wonder if Asmodian used compulsion or something on him to to convince him of these things because he is, we'll get to it, but like, they are just bold-faced lies in his claims. Um, he says he went to Rewidian at night in secret. Bullshit. You did it. <laughs> you know? Um when the chiefs question why he went without permission from the wise ones, he just says, he who comes with the dawn brings change, you know, so he can do what he wants. Like using some of the argument that Rand has for some of his sort of, you know, new behaviors he's mm. using to just justify his complete fabrications. Uh, but Rand has Kuladin in his own lie now, because now Kuladin has said that he's been to Ruidian and uh, Rand asks him, so what did you see in Ruidian? And, Kulin says, no, we don't speak of it. Suddenly now, he who mm. comes with the dawn doesn't change the rules. No, yeah. I'm not going to talk about this thing that I made up. No, nothing about. <laughs> so Rand just says straight up, I walked among the glass columns beside Avendasora. I saw through the eyes of my ancestors. What did you see? I'm not afraid to speak. Are you? And um, the chiefs now, knowing where Rand is going with this, and a lot of that ringing true, start getting nervous, and they they say we should we should move apart from everyone else here. This is not for discussion in front of everybody. Like this is clan chief mm. stuff. But um, Savannah steps in and says that ah, oh, because she's cottoning on. She's like, oh shit, okay, Kuladin's in dangerous water here because he's lying, and Rand seems to know things that um, that Kuladin doesn't. So she's going to quickly just diffuse that situation by saying, no, no, Ruach told Rand about what happens in the glass columns and stuff, to which the chiefs are just aghast. They're like, no, forget no, that. No, no. <laughs> Ruach is a man of honor. He would never do that. Um, but Kuladin, Kuladin takes the bait, and he, he exclaims that he's he's not afraid to talk. Rand, how dare you challenge my bravery? I'm not afraid. I saw our coming to the threefold land. I saw our glory, the glory I will bring back. And Rand says, well, 
I saw the Age of Legends, the beginning of the Aiel journey into the Threefold Land, and Ruach tries to stop him there, but Rand just sort of shrugs him off and keeps going, and he says, I saw the Aiel when they were called Dashain Aiel and followed the way of the leaf. Okay. Boom. Pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> he who comes with the dawn bring change. Yes. Um, roars of no from the Aiel. Like, obviously, the Aiel gathered there are freaking out, and Kulidan accuses Rand of lying. We've always been warriors, you know, sealing his own fate oh, there. When he yeah. says, we've always been warriors, the other chiefs are like, oh, fuck yeah, he is, he is bullshitting, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and Savannah tries to shut him up, but she can't. It's too far now. Like, Kulidan's yeah. too G'd up, and he's busy shouting at everyone. Um, the chiefs are dead silent. They're just standing there. They know. They know what Rand saw is the true thing, and the Kuladin is full of shit. And one by one, the clan chiefs name Rand Althor, the Kara Khan, and he who comes with the dawn. And there is just silence. I mean, earlier it was like roaring celebration mm. stuff, and now it's and well, then it went to like, um, what do you call it? Outrage, um, objection, and like mm-hmm. you know, like defiance. Like, no, this cannot be. And now the whole bowl is silent. Kuladin jumps from the ledge, grabs a spear from one of his own guard, and he throws it at Rand, only to have Adele jump up with her buckler and actually like catch the spear. Like it punctures her her buckler and spins her in the air, but she she stops it from hitting Rand, obviously. Um, and then chaos erupts. Uh, fighting breaks out in groups all over the place. Um, and Matt and Ruark and the maidens all jump up on the stage and they sort of like they're trying to protect Rand. And Rand figures, okay, I can't let this play out. So he starts channeling and he does something he's never done before. We've all heard this before. You know, basically he causes a thunderstorm and he makes it rain. Clouds start forming, lightning in the sky, and it starts raining in the Aiel waste. Like it has never happened. <laughs> they make it sound like this is the first time it's ever rained here. But suddenly it stops raining around Rand. As someone creates some kind of invisible dome over him, pushing Matt and the Tardot Aiel away from Rand. And lo and behold, it's everyone's favorite, Lanfear. But she's pissed off. But Rand isn't even surprised to see her. And um, he's only surprised at how soon she's revealed herself. He's known that he was being followed since they left Tyr. Mm-hmm. He demands to know where her accomplice is, because he knows he's figured out she's got probably a male accomplice. Um, She sort of lets, you know, she lets out that he probably gave himself away in your dream, you know, that scene where they were in the Mm. pool and then Asmodian came in all foggy and stuff. But Lanfear demands to know why Rand sent Asmodian away. You could have used him to to teach you, because now he thinks he's found something in Ruidian, Asmodian. All his his work with Kuladin and the Drakkar attack, to keep Rand distracted so that he can go focus on whatever he thinks he's found in Ruidian. Um, and now all her plans are in ruins because she brought Asmodian there specifically to teach Rand. And none of the other male Forsaken will teach Rand. She lists them off there. Um, but it becomes clear that, you know, Asmodian was only ever, if there was going to be a male Forsaken to teach Rand anything, it would only ever have been Asmodian. So she is pissed off because she wants Rand to actually succeed. She doesn't want him to go crazy. Yes. Um, and Asmodians are only hope for that. But at this point, Rand has all the information he needs. Ruidian. Asmodian is there? Cool. Um, so like while she's in the middle of her tirade, Rand just channels a gateway. Uh, not like a traveling gateway like we know, but a gateway for skimming. Um, mm. Surprising Lanfear then, who then says, oh, so 
you do remember some things from your past. And then what's in Ruidian? And uh, Rand only responds with Asmodian. Mm-hmm. He steps through the gateway and he closes it behind him, thinking that she can probably get, weave a gateway as well, but this is more for like dramatic effect and it'll <laughs> yeah. slow her down a little bit. And he's like, oh, this should piss her off. And closes the gateway behind him. And that's how the chapter ends. Yes, she has her own plans. And they in, they include a, a very well-trained and competent Rand to rule by her side. Uh, mm-hmm. And this, yeah. this farm boy bullshit will not stand. <laughs> no. How did you guys feel about this chapter this time around? Because for me, it was actually quite different from both other times I read it. Like, I got a lot more from it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember they met and there was fighting <laughs> and there was two people with tattoos and one yeah, of them yes. was a shadow dog and the one of them was a brand. And that's like the rain, the the, the numbers, the, the quantity, like none of that stuck at all. But no. it's very, very like sets a scene of drama and especially the fair that you know that there's okay cool we're all going to get together we might as well trade some goods if we're not going to bail up and stab each other um but i mean uh uh, air of tension from the onset Mm. of them entering that bowl and uh rand is just so calm at this stage he is he is he's got rain under his thumb like literally, I think this is like Moraine is just throthing. It's like, I, you, you are in the threefold land now. You're in my people's country. <laughs> yeah. I call the shots here. And remember, Moraine thinks that Rand is completely wasting his time here. Mm. Yeah. You know, she, she, she does not buy into this like, I yield people of the dragon, you know, part of the prophecy at all. She still thinks that Rand should be leading, you know, an army against Ilian, against Samael. You know, like mm. her thinking is so old school. Like if you yeah. think how far we've come just in this book. Um, and the other thing that stood out for me this time around is just like when I was in high school and maybe even like in my early 20s when I reread it, I... I was always like very dismissive of that. Okay. Yeah. Then the, you'll find out that they used to follow the way of the leaf. Well, oh, big whoop. Okay, cool. Mm. You know, get over it. But here it seemed a lot more poignant and um, oh, a lot more dramatic, you know, not just the knowledge of that, but like how Rand employs the knowledge of that to prove that he's the one that went through the glass columns and the chiefs have to accept that, you know, so they know. So he, he is dooming, the Aiel to a terrible fate by doing this, but everyone eventually comes around to the fact like, well, fuck, this actually had to happen this way. Mm. You know, all the weight of the stuff that we spoke about before about how, you know, we sort of dismissed how Rand would actually break the Aiel, how a remnant of a remnant of them will remain after all is said and done. You know, like that is their prophecy and they were, you know, incredibly uh, cautious and wary of it for obvious reasons. I mean, a remnant of a remnant of their whole people. And um, here Rand is like laying that doom out in front of all of them and basically saying, I have now taken the hourglass and turned it. It is only a matter of time until your people are destroyed, mm, right? Yeah. Until only some of them well, are left over. Well, it is the same effect of the archers in Rudian that you go through to become a wise one or a clan chief. 
is to weed out the weak. He is effectively weeding out the weak in the entire nation of the Ail. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that his words is going to have the dramatic effect of what Kuladin's brother endured, tearing out and eating his own eyes. <laughs> but they run Yummy. in a craze, like actually running away from Kaladar, like into the desert. Like, this isn't fucking mm. true. I'm not. We yeah. never lived the way of the leaf. Some of them probably commit suicide. Like yeah. Some of them just yeah. fall on their spears and say, like, this is not for me. But what is <laughs> left... not what I signed up for. <laughs> ...is people that can handle the shit. That mm-hmm. he's, he's now taken a true lot of people that's thinned out and cleaned out and de-weeded, if you want to call it that. And mm-hmm. he has a powerful army with him after that. Yeah. At the, even the, the 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 every clan chief sitting there, knowing this and saying, "Yep, he's got it. Mm. Like he's he's the Karakar. Yeah. Done." Yeah. Mm. What I want to know, Savannah, mm. is a wise one. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did she not in this plot inform Kuladin of hey when you go to Ruidian? By the way, you're going to say you go to Ruidian. You might want to know what happens in there. Or is she still, had, and I don't want to say this of a shadow dog that there's honor involved, but does she have the honor not to break that oath that she didn't explain maybe. to him? Or maybe if he gets the truth, he might eat his own eyeballs as well and run away and they plan <laughs> as fuck anyway. I mean, that's certainly a factor, right? Like Kulidan would never buy that. Look, look at his brother. Um, yeah, his, his brother ate his own, his own eyes out. Yeah, but he he certainly would reject that. He would, I think you can safely assume, would not um, mm. that would not sit well with him. Uh, it could also just be a blind spot on her part, right? She might not have thought that anyone would ever speak about what happens in it. Yeah, yeah. It's not done. Nobody ever speaks about it. So maybe she thought they could get away with it because you know. He's the cop. Maybe they could. Maybe they come up with another story of like what he went through in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she is standing there like, I got my dragons. I saw our victory. <laughs> We're gonna go over the wall and get some gold. Woo! Nice to be a shadow maybe dog. That's all it would take. Fucking <laughs> dog. No, I think she never. She never thought that it would be brought up. Like no one was ever going to talk. That wasn't going to be an issue. And that with his okay. tattoos, that they, if they had to choose that the Aiel would have to choose between some wetlander and a. And an Aielman with with tattoos, they were going yes. to go with the Aielman. Like she just put all her eggs in one basket, and yeah, assumed did, too much. Assumed, well, assumed the, too the much. only thing that I can sort of gather out of this is the fact that they are Shido, that they didn't think they planned through. They just <laughs> they inferior Aiel. <laughs> but like I, mean, I said many times, this is the uh, the downfall of all the the. The antagonists the in this guys. series is that they mm-hmm. all are, you know, they all think so much of themselves. Their arrogance is always their downfall. They think everyone else is yeah. stupider and therefore they will win. And they it's don't. true. Well, I sort of touched on the things I wanted to as I went past them. I don't know if you guys yeah. have anything else you want to add there. I've got a couple of stuff. Cool. After the first maiden takes the spear and a buckler and all mm. the other maidens rush to Rand's defense. I have it in my mind that they made 
a turtle shell of bucklers around <laughs> Rand, like, yeah. like the legion of Romans used to do with their... They, You're going to need a lot of bucklers to make a turtle You're need a lot of bucklers. They're a bit small. <laughs> because Rand was kind of like encircled by them, like how the, how the bodyguards would cover a president with the guns out, like, get, get, get to the ground, get to the ground. And uh, Rand sitting there like, no, nah, I need to, I need, and I thought Rand channeled the bubble. I was, I, I was under the impression that the bubble that took the rain of him, that he channeled it. Like he channeled and brought the rain. He felt the rain and the water in the earth. And he's like, I'm mm-hmm. going to bring this up. And it came down as rain and lightning. But I wasn't, mm. no, Lanfear is kind of at that moment, like, oh, fuck's sakes. My plan's gone to shit. The I've bubble specifically in. created between Rand and Matt and the maidens mm. and Ruark and everything. So, and it actively pushes them away oh, as yeah. it expands. So, I don't think Rand would have done that. Do you think everyone could hear in the bubble or they were sealed off in there? No, they were sealed off. No. It's not Lan- like Lanfear to put her whole thing on display. She's there yeah. to talk to Rand and mm. no one else. So, everyone else, fuck off. No, it's also in my chapter, the end of my chapter, when when it all ends, everybody's like, when he comes back, they're all like, what the fuck? What the fuck? They have no idea what happened. Yeah. So they had no idea. It was a soundproof. What else, Phil? Um, No, I think that is really the the sum of it. All right. Well, then let's get to your chapter, Jody, the final chapter for The Shadow Rising. (laughs) Always made me wait, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, time to perk up. All right. <laughs> Chapter 58 is called The Traps of Rewidian. Joe, take it away. Thank you kindly, sir. So we are on the other side of that gateway, and we have the same steps that we saw at the end of the Eye of the World when Rand ah. fought there. So that was... Um, and, and the whole mechanism now is becoming super clear to me that this is Telan Riyadh, that they use Telan Riyadh mm. to travel just like... It's a different. It's a way of channeling inside, like um, Perrin uses to leap far distances. He mm. uses Teleonriod, but they are physically entering Teleonriod and then using it to jump far distances. In this case, uh, well, first steps and then skimming. Mm. Um, and he, when he, as soon as he gets in, he sees these steps leading up. He's like, oh, I've been here. I've seen this before. This is familiar." And we all go, "Ah, oh, of course, yes." And he starts That's to think about well. where he is. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, where he is and like, like what's under these stairs. Like, if I fall, do I ever stop falling? And then everything starts shimmering. And, and that was my key. It was like, ah, yes, because his mind is creating these things. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's got to be Tela and Riot now. So that's super clear to me uh, at this point. So they, the this, this steps start shimmering and uh, losing, you know, substance so he decides no, no focus 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 and when he focuses they become solid again and they even get like fine details around the steps like intricate carvings and all kinds of things so yeah then he keeps leaping and he, he starts running uh, up to where he wants to get to and in the distance he sees um asmodian uh who's on a little disc skimming along with one of his hands on his hips he's like hand on a hip and like he's stroking his goatee like an evil (laughs) an evil man (laughs) plotting something and he's like oh fuck that looks much much easier than this leaping from step to step bullshit because i'm already out of breath the side is hurting from his wound and like the steps are starting to adjust to his his uh his strides as well they're getting further and further apart as he's leaping so he's like this is bullshit i'm just gonna copy that guy and do what he's doing so he does all right um, but it also, you know, makes me wonder 
why did Asmodian uh, skim to Ruidian? Why didn't he just travel? Capital T, like open a gateway and just step out. Look, on the other side. Oh, what did we say in callbacks recently? Like for traveling and skimming, for the one, you need to know the destination. For the other one, you need to know your point of origin. I think traveling, you need to know your point of origin. For skimming, you need to know your destination. He's never been inside the waste or wherever he, wherever he left from. He doesn't know. Asmodian has never been to, what do you call that valley outside Rudian? They met Chandar. Chandar. No, he hasn't. They met after that. In Teleron Riyadh, has. In Teleron Riyadh, has because Egwene saw him there. He has. He was snooping around there. He's been there before. He knows his destination. What he doesn't know is his is his origin. He's never been in Nynaeve's Golden Bowl. Yeah, or Nynaeve. Sorry, was it man in the blue coat standing outside the misty wall of Ruidian? So anyway, the, the, the point, the, the whole Misty Wall thing is that you can't enter inside Ruidian because it's shielded mm, in some true. way. So that's why they stop outside, which I'll get to in a second. But my question was just, like, why not travel? Does, was it a plot line to give time to Rand to catch up? I'm, I'm trying to think, what was the rule? Was it like for traveling, you need to know your current location? Well, I think so. I think that was it, because then that would explain this, because he doesn't know where he is. He's in the waste, he's in he the doesn't. Golden Bowl, he doesn't he's know where he's starting, so he has doll, to yeah. skim there. Okay, well, yeah. that would make sense. There we go. All right. Thank you for clearing it. So, uh, anyway, Rand copies him, they're skimming after each other, um, and then he notices again those black threads coming out of Asmodian. Um, mm-hmm. the dark one protecting him and Rand thinks I, I just like in Rand's mind I'm just paraphrasing here but he's thinking I'm, I'm totally going to cut those <laughs> the second I get the chance <laughs> Ooh, it's worked threads. so well Love in the past those. Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, at this point as well Rand sees his face and he sees the face of Natale the Gleeman mm-hmm. and he's like oh that's who he is you know um, he had his money totally on Kadere who had yeah. those dead eyes. So he was wrong about that. He knew it was one of them, but he was just slightly off. Although at this point, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Um, at this point as well, as Merdian sees Rand um, and accelerates and then chucks some fire. I was making my notes and I was like, oh, he chucks some fire. And then I read the next line and it's like the fire sheet was one mile high and one mile wide. So I was like, okay, maybe not some fire, but all of the fire. <laughs> all the of world. the fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know what I'm thinking. So mm-hmm. Rand channels something. He doesn't know. He's just instinctive again. And the wall of fire shatters. But there's another one behind it and another one and another one. Like walls and walls of fire uh, coming at him. Rand also breaks through all of those and throws back his own firestorm. It's not a wall. It's literally just an entire storm of fire, um, which just flows around Asmodian's personal shield. I was like, ah, he's also got Mm -hmm. one of those. Clever thinking. Um, But Rand is now super pissed. So uh, suddenly Asmodian stops and opens a gateway and steps through. And Rand wants to go through there as well. He's like, I've got to catch him. And as he thinks about that, the the platform he's on stops dead and flings him forward and he flies through the hole uh, head first and um, feels a little tug on his uh, heel of his boot as he goes through. And that is the gateway closing and slicing off the heel of his boot. And I remember that scene from the first time that I read the really? books. That's something that has always <laughs> stuck with me because I was like, oh shit, when those gates close, they're going to chop you in half. 
which we do oh, find yes. out later becomes death gates, which are an awesome weapon to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is our first little little taste of yeah. Don't don't get caught in a closing gate. Uh, I suppose that's true for any kind of gate, um, <laughs> to varying degrees of injury. Portal. It's never your intention. Always <laughs> no. trying to avoid being caught in the gate. <laughs> having having gates close on you. Yes, mm. it's how gates work. It's <laughs> yeah. the mechanics of a gate. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's, uh, he tumbles out the other side. It's very unceremonious as he comes tumbling through head over heels, smashing around in, in the in the power, in the, all the dust floating up around him. But he's still raging with power, and he rolls and tucks and rolls, and he's ready to fight again. And they are fifty steps outside Ruidian. They're just outside that wall of fog. And uh, later on as well, um, Landfear mentions that there was some sort of shield here, so they can't they can't they can't open a gate inside Ruidian, I think is the, is the, is the chucks, the, the, the point here is why they stopped outside. So, uh, running through the mist, you know, Asmodian's already inside. So he runs after him. He runs in through the mist and for some reason, instinctively throws himself to the floor. Um, and when he looks up, there are some traps laid with air look like fine blades hanging horizontally one at hip level, uh, one at chest level, and one at neck level or whatever, like three of them, they would have sliced him in, in three pieces had he run at them full speed. It's a lot of a lot of luck going on here. I'm just wondering if this is like Lou's Theron, like um, manifesting himself more and more, like being able to break through those firewalls that are being thrown at him, instinctively smashing them. and Probably also instinct and just like gut feel like if you're running from an obscured area into an area where someone you are pursuing is standing and they've mm. got clear line of sight you know like maybe he was expecting okay. an attack and not a trap yes okay that part but i mean the channeling to break through those firewalls uh there's and there's a whole battle as they go along mm. as well everything is instinctive for rand and he just manages to deflect and and nullify any attack thrown at him um it has to be loose there mm. like not fully speaking to him at this point yet but I think being able to channel weaves instinctively is a talent. Mm. Mm. The girls do it. Rand, all Rand's channeling. Mm. He's like by instinct, right? Like everything he's ever done is sort of like, oh, I guess I could do this too. Like everything all the time? I'm uh, I'm riding the Taveran wave. Yeah, it's very convenient. I don't like, think I can understand some of yet. it. It's got to be loose. You loose don't has think been it's been in there the yet? whole time. He's been not in there, but he's not speaking to him yet. He's not no, on no, that not yet. yet. He isn't. No. He, it's it is his instinct as mm. the dragon reborn. He has. He must have that instinct. He's got that natural ability, and he's the Viren, That in itself, and it's it's a book about magic. Come on, just <laughs> magic flow. Yes, got to learn somehow. Yeah. All right. All right. Suspend belief. There's, there's a precedent, like uh, naive mm. healing and stuff, you know, like a lot yes. of the, I mean, rediscovering gateways and like, you know, sometimes someone sees something and they're like, oh, I can copy that and they do it. But a lot of times out of desperation, they just go on instinct and it seems to work. Mm. So as as unsatisfying as that is, ah, Joe, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's something we're going to have to live with. No, look, I am 100% on board that some of it is instinct and that he has a talent for it, but like every single time he manages to do it, there's got to be, he's got to be getting help. Until he gets a teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, we'll leave that behind us uh, for another time. 
he's tucked and rolled. He is not getting sliced in three pieces. And uh, he comes out um, on the other side of the mist, ready to channel, ready to fight. And he's pulling on more of Sidin. And he mentions here as well, like it's much harder. So there's like a, a resistance I, I don't inside. Wanna, I don't want to be the parent of us today here, but there was three lines. Wouldn't he technically be sliced into four pieces then? <laughs> That's what I was a thinking head. as I said those words. <laughs> but I thought, I am not a pedant. <laughs> I was thinking about my fantasy maths. Well, Vili, if his individual legs got cut off, there'd be an extra pieces. <laughs> Five pieces. Oh, God. <laughs> Please stop. What about his arms and his hands? No, no, that would be oh, on the side about of his fingers. It would be like, blip, 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 blip. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway he pulls on that side in which is more difficult to uh to to draw on he notices inside here yeah, inside this the shield inside this fog and he rains down some lightning in front of asmodian because we do realize he does say at this point he's not trying to kill the guy he he needs him mm. um although that is not what asmodian is trying to do asmodian is not pulling any punches he is running for his fucking life and he's going to kill uh, Rand with any opportunity he gets so there's like uh, you're raining down some some lightning and smashing some ancient pillars that have been there for 3,000 years into dust and I was like dude be careful but I was bummed about that yeah look it only oh, gets man, worse bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it just gets worse and worse so oh, yeah. um, Asmodian retaliates by turning the air around Rand into fire as you do you know standard weave uh Ran undoes that. Uh, I wrote you, thanks, Luz, but now I'm not allowed to say things like that anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like all of this stuff is happening. The chase continues. There's back and forth. I'm not going into all the details of all the attacks that happen, but there's various different types of attacks. There's fire, there's lightning, there's flying stones, there's buildings crumbling around them. All hell is breaking loose. Uh, so while Rand is fighting to stop Asmodian, Asmodian is fighting to kill. And Rand realizes, shit, I'm going to pick up my game. Yeah, you know, step it up a bit. Asmodian spots the access keys to the Kudenkull. We're not allowed to say Chodenkull on this channel. Um, no. And grabs onto it with an exalted, ha-ha, Eureka! You know, this is what I'm afterwards. <laughs> but at that same moment, like a split second later, Rand's hand also closes around it because he's caught up now. Um, and they're both holding onto this little moment where they look at each other in the eyes like, you son of a bitch. And uh, <laughs> they start both uh, reaching through and drawing power from one of the two most powerful Sangriel ever created. And Rand like Rand is just blown away by the amount of power that he's, he's feeling here. And he's, he remembers like, oh, this is probably through the one I saw. Well, not probably. It's definitely through the, that, that uh, statue they were digging up outside uh, Kyrian that but one time mm -hmm. when I was cruising by. And he thinks mm -hmm. to himself, with this much power, he could have healed that dead child in the stone of tear, like one of those memories mm -hmm. that again, you know, like they carry this baggage with them, the whole book, all of these yeah. characters, they always have these regrets and they never forget the names of the people that they got killed and all of that stuff. Um, hashtag remember the stone. So this is only mm. half of the power though. Rand is just blown away, but Asmodian is drawing the other half. So he's only at 50% power. So that also was a, was a wake up call to me that, that wow, this you can't imagine the amount of power that is being drawn now. Whatever yeah. you whatever you're imagining, it's half. So they're kind of having two battles at the same time as well, because they're having this physical battle rolling around in the dirt, fighting over the key. But they're also having this metaphysical power battle where they are throwing hammer fists of air, this that could destroy mountains. 
and they they do destroy mountains around them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to kill each other with a one power as well. Um, Rand is exhausted because, as the wise ones mentioned before, you need to get some sleep, brew, and he is feeling it now because this battle is going on, and he's drawing and drawing and drawing more power, and he is feeling himself getting weak. Like he's not going to be able to keep this up for much longer. Um, but he does notice as well that Asmodian is also sweating and panting. So while they're they're both tired, Rand is definitely the most tired. So he needs to start making a plan. He needs to make his move soon or he's going to die. So they're tumbling around, they're tumbling around, fighting on the ground. And at one moment, you know, they're pressed together and Rand feels through the body pressing against him that that little stone Ungriel, that little fat man Ungriel is still tucked in his waistband. And, you know, he thinks to himself, well, you know, any little bit can help, I suppose. In that little man next to this Angriel, this Angriel is nothing but anything that I can get, any any little extra bit. So uh, Asmodian at this point feels that he is about to win and Rand can, can see on his face. Like he's kind of smiling like, oh, I've got you now. You can feel Rand's getting weaker and losing his, his grip. Um, but Rand remembers his training and he uses the void to prepare himself for his, his final attack. And he takes that calmness in and... Asmodian kind of looks at him weird because he's no longer like grunting and growling. His face becomes complete serenity. And that's usually a bad sign <laughs> when you see that mm-hmm. on your enemy's face. So he calms himself and he focuses on those black wires that I told you he was going to cut right at the beginning. Out comes the uh, the old, you know, he draws through that little extra power, through that little fat stone ungrill man. Out comes the good old flaming sword and he cuts the wires. It's a big I told you so. Mm-hmm. Asmodium screams in horror and all of that stuff, and they both collapse backwards. Rand manages to twist out of there, and he holds onto the access key, um, but loses his connection with Sidin at this point because they are both just kaput, exhausted. So looking around, he sees that the crystal columns are still standing. He's happy for that because he feels like if he had destroyed those, he would have destroyed the history of the Aeel. So he's... When the wise ones are worried that he doesn't care about them, he does. He does have mm. some care for them. He um, does. He's not completely no, heartless. Um, but everything else yes. is proper fucked. <laughs> I mean, that city is done. Hey, the red door frame's still standing up. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Nothing's going to get that red door frame, man. Doesn't matter. That red door frame, that twisted door frame is still there. Nudge, nudge. There is also a, a, a list of other uh, Ungreal and Ungreal that they mentioned there that I'm not going to go through because I did not know any of them. Um, that same black spear balanced on its point yes. again. Like a splinter in my mind. Yeah, but at the end, it's balanced on the top of a pile of rubble. Um, yeah. So it has moved somewhere along the line. It's been moved around and it's now on top of the rubble, still balancing um, unnaturally. Uh, yeah, that one. And there's also a, a, a statue of a crystal woman uh, nude, of course, with a baby suckling at her breast. Don't know what that one is. If any one of the readers knows, uh, let us know. Uh, but anyway, the, the city is gone. The buildings are collapsed. The football, I mean, Avendasora is a flaming, um, flaming flame. What do you call it? Bonfire. That's it. Torch. <laughs> a flaming torch. It's a bonfire. The, that 3,000 year old tree is on fire. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. That 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 cut me deep. That was the worst of mm. it. Like, I was like, no, man, shame. Just only uh, the, the leaves that it's burning. Yeah. It's only the leaves. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I also noticed by the end of this chapter, 
rant and, and nobody else has bothered to put it out. Like, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> do something about it now. Fuck it. Let it burn. Um, there's also a massive rift in the ground that has split the entire city apart. It's like 50 paces wide. Um, there's a new canyon Maybe. running through the middle of the city. And the, fo- mm. the, the, the dome of fog, the foam, is, uh, is dissipating. So everything that protected the city and everything that was inside is now gone. Thanks to this, this little battle that these two guys have had. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he notices that the mountains around the city are lower. And that one of the mountains is completely gone. It was there a few moments ago. Gone again. Break, second little mm-hmm. breaking of the world that happened here. It's just what the men do. Uh, the male channels. Yep. Is this, is they break shit. No, even that's what the power of that Sangriel does at the 50% mm-hmm. level. Split split get you. <laughs> yeah. Well, look what they do with it in book nine. I mean, it's not always just mm. there. It's, it's how you use it and who's using it. Yeah. It's not mm. what the, the male channelers, it's, it's what they do. That's just destruction. It was made for sealing the Dark One in the bore. Yeah. And that made me think again while I was reading this. Like, what happens? Like, what would have happened if, if they had actually used that plan? The female isodized plan. Would it have worked? I wonder. I suppose we'll never know. Don't know. And what was we the plan? We wouldn't be reading exactly? these books, that's for sure. No, <laughs> for sure. This podcast wouldn't exist. No. <laughs> and then they seal the bore and everyone live happily ever after. The end. Okay. <laughs> Boring books. Um, Asmodian looks at Rand and the, he looks at the key and he kind of like makes a half move for it but Rand just gives him that whole don't you fucking dare look um, and he thinks to himself like I'm going to fight this guy I, wouldn't, I won't be able to channel a, a shred of the power but like Nynaeve I have got a mean right hook and he's got his fists, fists clenched he thinks to himself like I learned to fight when I was a kid dude, dude. <laughs> before I knew about the one power I will punch you in the face and from the Aiel. Yes. But I mean, the, his, his, his uh, thought at that time was like he learned to fight as a child, as a young boy. Right. So he's, he's got years of experience uh, not using the power. So, of course, Lanfear appears at this point. Of course she does. Hmm. Um, with some snarky, men about, a snarky comment about men fighting and groveling on the ground, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Shut up. She's not wrong. <laughs> No, she's not. <laughs> no, she's <wrong>. not. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to bring it up, man. It's it's too soon. Uh, <laughs> low blow, low blow, man. And she realizes, ah, she sees the axis king. She's like, that's what he was after, and that is what I'm after too. So she realizes, only shit, if this one's here, where's the female one? And the entire time, from now on until the end of the chapter, she's kind of like half talking to them and half looking around, um, mm-hmm. looking for this other access key. But of course. The city is in ruins. Like she's, she's, nev- she's never going to find it. Um, no. So she's not making any active, you know, effort to go and look for it. But anyway, she does mention that she goes, "I wondered where those were because there is half of the the female access key in Tanchico." Well, she doesn't say Tanchico, but she says she's seen it. So that's mm. obviously the one that we saw in Tanchico. So we know that she has also been there. I suppose in Telanriad is is the way that they've moved around a lot. Um, perhaps uh, she gives Rand the old, you know, uh, you and I together can displace the Dark One, and uh, that whole routine again. Join the dark side of the that force. old sales pitch. That old sales pitch, yeah, exactly. Together, blah 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 blah. We can rule the world. Um, Asmodian's now just begging her to help him, uh, begging for help, and um, Rand tells her like, "No, you can't help him now because I've cut him off 
from the from the dark one and she's shocked because she's like shit i didn't know that that was even possible that you could cut these these male for, uh, forsaken off and Rand's like yeah it was pretty easy i just used a fiery sword and chopped them so yeah the fiery sword you keep making fun of me for for yes. using that's the one <laughs> i can do things that no forsaken has ever dreamt of with that fiery sword just the simplest of things yeah they i think the, the forsaken are just overthinking things you know too grandiose <laughs> yeah so he also tells her of uh his plan to use asmodian to teach him how to channel she's like good plan <laughs> great minds think alike um asmodian uh doesn't really have a choice at this point uh it's basically to stay with rand or let the other forsaken kill him because he, he's like telling uh, landfield like you can you know like rand's like how's how's how are they to know that he didn't cut himself off to, to switch sides. And he's you know, like, well, mm. you know, Landfield will tell them the truth. And Landfield's like, actually, no, I think I'm going to tell them that you switched sides. And by, I've read the next book. She totally does. Like, first thing she does when she meets them. <laughs> Guess what Asmodian did? Um, so, yeah, she's, she doesn't make idle threats. So that's his choice. Like, as soon as, um, as the Forsaken find out, the other Forsaken, that he's switched sides, so to speak, they're going to come and kill him, mm. which, of course, we know they do eventually anyway, or to hang mm. out with Rand and hope he wins, you know, hope the, the light wins, basically. He's got, uh, for, a, for a dark friend, for a Forsaken, that's a pretty shitty deal. Um, yeah. Again, he's just begging and begging and begging Lanfear for her help, but instead, she shields him and allows him to only channel just a trickle so that he has enough of the one power to teach Rand the weaves that he needs to teach him, but not enough to be a threat. Asmodian begs for mercy at this point again. A lot of begging going on from Asmodian mm. right now. And uh, that's what you mentioned right earlier. Now. Like it was always going to be Asmodian who's going to be out of all the male forsaken because all the others are not little whiny bitches like him. No. Um, and here he's proving it. So um, he calls her Mirren at this point, like begging wow. her, using her original mm. name. And that pisses her off. Your like no man's business. And she almost kills him. She picks him up with the one power and starts crushing him. And the way it's described in the books is you can see his clothes pressing against his body and the skin on his face distorting. And she's literally crushing him with all the air around his body. Um, but Rand manages to draw enough of the one power through that little stone tangrel that he's got uh, to just throw a little bit of bale fire between them. <laughs> I, like, I like how these, these, uh, these new channelers just... That's their default attack is now just bale yeah. fire. <laughs> Nobody's throwing yeah. fireballs anymore. That's so last year. So yeah, that kind of like severs what she's doing. Um, her weaves between him, between her and Asmodian, and they both mm. fall to the ground. And when Asmodian falls to the ground and the, and the weave dissipates, like blood starts running out of his ears and his mouth and his nose. Like mm. she was literally crushing him alive. And um, Ble look, bleeding from the ears is yeah. never a good thing. It's like it's <laughs> no. it, it when someone bleeding bleeds in general from their to be ears, avoided. They 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 proper <laughs> fucked. They, yeah. It's it's you see bleeding from the ears. You go like oh that uh, that's no good, mm. my man. Um, that's no good. It, so she pretty much the eyes also no bueno. <laughs> 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 bleeding from the mouth, fine. The nose that happens, but the ears and eyes, no. We no, gotta mm. skip that. I don't think it was specific mentioned that he was bleeding from his eyes at this moment, but I think no. yeah, the ears was enough. I was more speaking generally. <laughs> generally, in general terms, yes, of course. Yeah. 
So he was nearly dead, and the rage on her face disappears instantaneously once Rand does that. And he, he makes note of that, like, this, this chick is crazy, man. And she loves me. She loves me. So it's just, mm-hmm. whoa. So he's like, no, I need Asmodian alive. And she's like, no, you're right. You're right. That's cool. That smile comes back. That serenity comes back instantaneously. And she makes a mention that she says, you know, um, you still carry my mark. Should I make it permanent? And we've spoken about this mark thing before. So it wasn't just her healing him after the battle in Felmay. Like she physically marked him and apparently yeah, she bit dissipates him. after time. Wasn't she referring to the bite mark yeah, in his neck? Yeah, he still got the bruise ah, in his neck I thought it was mark. referring to that. No, no, that's, so, that's her saying. going like, to permanently I've, bite I've him. bitten you, bitch. I'll bite you again. I thought it was the mark she left on his forehead in Tanchico. No, no. This is this is the bite mark. He referenced that he still got remnants ah, of the mark. And that's why he stopped sleeping. Because he didn't want her in his dreams anymore. <laughs> like, but what does she mean by making it permanent? Everywhere. No, she's just crazy. I'm gonna I'm gonna permanently bite a chunk out of your neck. All right. Maybe. We'll, we'll just go with that. Hey man, she might even bite the ear off. <laughs> it's it's landfill we're talking about. I'll bite your legs off. Maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with a warning that uh, old Ravin and Samael and Demondred, or Demondred, however you pronounce it, will redouble the efforts to kill him once they learn that he has this access key, um, she leaves. Uh, she's like, All right, fine, check it. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave that key because I can't find it. There's, a, there's some, also some um, jabs at him about uh, Avienda like who you're trying to protect, that farm girl of yours and all of those things. Because Rand is, at this point as well, another you know sign of his character is like, did you hurt them? That's the only question he has. Like, when I left mm. you behind there in, with the Aiel, did you hurt any of my friends? And she's like, no, no, I didn't hurt anybody. Your, your precious Aiel and your, your... I don't know what she refers to um, uh, Avienda as. Not, something not kind. But anyway, mm, she didn't hurt them and she left them all there. So he's like, all right, that's cool. I appreciate that. Not the same for his Sandra. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting to that. <laughs> so, so also before she leaves, she muses again about how these Aiel have changed and how you could have slapped a Daishane in the face and they would have just been like, what did I do wrong? You know, like she's very surprised at how, how quickly, um, but she does say, I mean, how much they've changed, but she also tells Rand, like you better learn quickly and well, like, yeah, as your teacher learn, cause I'm coming back for you and we are going to rule the world together. Again, a little bit of the spiel that she, the sales pitch that she gives. Um, mm-hmm. After she leaves, Rand uh, uh, pokes around the rubble and he finds the female access key. It was, it was right there, apparently, all along. It's right there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one that she had been uh, trying to find. And then looking past all of that destruction, him and Asmodian are just standing there now. And he looks past all of that destruction and he notices that uh, the fog is now almost completely gone. And that rift that had opened had broken open that big reservoir, that ocean of water that he had felt before that was mm. underneath. And it's, it's running out into the valley below. I don't know if that valley was there before, but it seems like now that the whole city is kind of twisted, it's kind of moved mm. on its, uh, it's not as level as it once was. It's mm. now running down into a valley and creating a lake that is almost like three miles wide. And he said like, probably once it's filled up, it's going to reach right to the city. And there is a moment there where he's like, you know, people will come and live here. There's a moment of optimism. Like the, the, the waste will actually have a real city. 
people will now mm. be able to come here and they'll they, maybe they'll fix the buildings that are fucked up so horribly and there will be water for the first time where people are fighting over little puddles and so you know there's there's a future here for the aiel which is you know as we know from the prophecy is, is not the case but who knows what might happen no. in, in a few thousand years other people non-aiel might come and live there so we'll see and, and also that people will come and tend to a Vendasora, <laughs> that burning tree that I'm just going to leave there, even though there's water everywhere. And I do apparently have enough power to, to, you know, enough strength left to channel because he channeled that bale fire. And then he channels right now another gateway to leave, to go back to the waste. Could have channeled some of the water on the tree, man. But no. So uh, they jump back in and he creates one platform for both of them to ride on him and old mm-hmm. Asmo. And while they're busy skimming back, they, they're deciding, like, all right, we've got to make up a story for you. You know, you're going to be coming back with me. Um, and we can't tell them that you're one of the Forsaken. <laughs> That's just a no-no. And he tells him, well, I used to be called, you know, Jor-El, Jor-El, what, I don't know, that's Superman's dad. Uh, Jor-R, that's it. Um, something, something. Three names, because he was very important. Nassassin. Uh, something along those lines. Mm. Um so anyway, they said, well, you know, the other Forsaken are going to know that name. So we can't use that either. So we're just going to stick with the old Glee Man uh, routine. You'll be in the tail and you'll be, your new official title is Glee Man to the Dragon Reborn. Like people will mm-hmm. buy that. All right. Some people. So arriving back in al Dal, uh, they see the rain has stopped. Well, obviously, I think it stopped after he left. And that a quarter of the Aeol have left. So I read this triple extra thoroughly to make sure that it wasn't only a quarter left and three quarters had left, but no, he says like one fourth of them had left thereabouts. He is that some of them just threw down their spears and left. They just went, fuck this shit. Vili, probably some of them threw themselves on their spears and others left and become the brotherless. I think they're called, you know, something like that. I think it's a whole bunch of them that leave and they just form a whole new society. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because of this. I think they basically act like none of this happened. <laughs> like, yeah. just in complete denial. Yeah, just put their fingers in the ears. La, 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 la. Mm-hmm. Didn't, I wasn't there, didn't see anything. So he's back on the, um, he just, of course, appears out of a doorway back on this ledge uh, in, mm. in, the, in the midst of our, of our group of buddies, old Lan and Moraine and Egwene and, and, and the Wise Ones and the Clan Chiefs and all of those guys um, on that ledge. And the first thing he does is tell them, hey, Go find Isandre. <laughs> Go tell them to stop beating her. Um, she's not as bad, you know, or not as big a she thief. She didn't steal all those things. Yes. Just some because of them. what Vili mentioned earlier, and I did gloss over then right afterwards, is that um, uh, Lanfear had uh, planted some, some stolen stuff in Isandre's um, chest. Mm. Some stuff. Some stuff she had actually stolen herself. And yeah. that to kind of punish her and let the Aiel punish her. So Loran's like, no, go save her. But it was actually Lanfear that set her up. And everybody's like, how the fuck did you know that was happening? And where were you? And what's going on? Who's this guy? And, uh, well, you know, what's going <laughs> yeah. on? They completely, and Rand just ignores them all. <laughs> he doesn't answer any questions whatsoever. Um, the Shido left, importantly, and to everyone's relief. Um, but some of the other clans as well. Not all of the clans, but every single one of the Shido, they're gone. Some of the other clans, people left their clans and went to enjoy the Shido, others the brothers, and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, none of the Taradad left, although Ruach says it as a statement of fact, not as with any pride or bragging. Um, mm. 
But the people that did left did leave. Oh, sorry, they did not leave with the shadow. I think that's made clear. It's like nobody when the shadow left, they were left on their own. The people that other left, they just left by themselves because they have standards. No one's going to go with the yes. shadow. Um, but at that point, um, everyone who remains, kind of, well, not kind of, everyone who remains recognizes Rand as the car archon, and he walks away. And that's basically how the book ends. Now, I did leave out some stuff. Um, which I'm sure we'll jump into right now. But yeah, um, I like how he just comes back after all of that shit's happened and everybody, Moraine, who used to be so terrifying in control and everyone's asking questions and he's just like, ah, fuck you guys, and walks away. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge. Yeah. Quite uh, irresponsible to return to that ledge when people could be standing there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just learned that they cut people in half. Uh, uh-huh. So yeah. But he knew what he was doing. Hmm. Anything else there? I don't have a lot extra to to add to that, Joe. Like the one thing that sort of did um, immediately jump out at me is when Rand asks Lanfear, "What did you do with everyone there? I can still use them," and it even says that it pained oh, him yes. to say it. It was mm. like that is quite a an indication of how Rand's thinking is changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think half of it was to mask to Lanfear what their importance is that he doesn't want to make it sound like he's too personally invested because who knows how Lanfear is going to react to him, him yeah. having a personal relationship with anyone that's female. Um, mm-hmm. And, but half of it is him thinking that, you know, these people aren't going to have to be employed. I mean, Egwene and Moraine just said to him in the previous chapter, we fight for you, you know, like we are also doing things on your behalf. Um, and he is definitely starting to think in that sort of more like, calculated chess playing kind of way like mm-hmm. how can i i mean he's using the ideal as a that blunt force plan. weapon yeah yeah exactly so he's definitely elevating his thinking like i mean how far has he come from the beginning of the dragon reborn which is just the previous book where he just ran from the mountains <laughs> yeah you know to to tear by himself like a raving lunatic to now <laughs> like planning to use this entire nation as a weapon despite it probably being their demise mm-hmm. like that's a huge leap. Indeed. I am very pleased that the Chora tree is on fire. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I am Interesting. of the opinion that... No, no. Hear me out. Yes, yes. <laughs> Rand had seen the past. He mm-hmm. lived the past through the eyes of his ancestors. Mm-hmm. He had seen what the Chora tree was and how it tied in with that age. It mm-hmm. was people under sedation from the tree being mm. coaxed into peace while the whole world was peaceful. It was like mm-hmm. there isn't place for such a tree in this age. That chaos is, ru- is out there and you need chaos to fight chaos. You don't have tinkers sleeping under trees that's going to win this battle. So enough of that nonsense. They're never going to go back to that ever. It's like the tree is, is interesting opinion coming from a game ranger (laughs) and someone actively invested in the the prevention of extinction. (laughs) One thing that I've learned that some species evolve and they evolve into a bottleneck of evolution which they are not supposed to survive. There are current species that are alive currently today that conservation is spending massive amount of money to try and preserve, but 
their failure as a species isn't man-made. Their failure as a species is what happened to them and they just bottlenecked in evolution. That tree bottlenecked when they drilled that fucking hole in the ball. Its, its purpose was done. It's the first thing that burned. The Chora mm. trees burned on day zero. <laughs> the Chora trees started burning. And this yeah. was kind well, of... some of them. Most of them. Like they just... In that one street of fire. Yeah, with all their like, wagons. They had, they had cuttings of the tree. All of this piece had, is over now. This, the, they had thousands of cuttings of the trees in the wagons that the Aeels took with them. They had the means with which to have them. They would randomly pop into fire probably as well. It's like as all these <laughs> just spontaneous combustion. Bubbles no, of evil now. was going around. <laughs> but I understand what you mean about the place of the tree in a world that's already been touched by the Dark One. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that there's a lot of symbolism in that. And mm. Rand purposefully seeing it and not doing anything about it. Like it's, it's... I bring change. This is very symbolic of the change. Like the, the the whole incident, like he's feeling bad about the city being destroyed. Like, yes, it could be a place and this could be a home for someone, but he doesn't do anything about it. Like people can come and rebuild it, but that tree, fuck that tree. We're done sleeping <laughs> under trees. <laughs> this is who we are now. We are killers. We are... The last of the Ail, we have weeded the the ones that cannot handle this truth out. Like it's just for me, that's what I really read into that whole battle scene. There, like he wasn't fighting as Modi, and he was preparing himself for what is coming, and just placing a few things there for him. Like this wasn't a fight. This wasn't a battle. This was just ironing out political differences. This was. Diastime Ma between the Forsaken and Rand. Done. Uh, okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drink that Kool-Aid just yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rand and Asmodian were literally battling for their lives. I mean yes, this, if Rand a... failed, he dies. Right? Like that it w- that was a fight. But it wasn't gonna happen. What do you mean it wasn't gonna happen? It would go against every prophecy. Well, I mean <laughs> There's also a dark prophecy. Yeah, there's a dark prophecy, but we know it doesn't work. There's, there's plot holes yeah. in it. <laughs> because Vinny knows the how the story guys. ends. That's why. <laughs> we know yes. Rand's going to win. <laughs> Actually, he doesn't. He hasn't read the last book. Ooh, so That's why Vinny's talking cock like this. No. Right. <laughs> like, fuck that tree. I mean, it's time so is Vil, over. Vil, let's, let's, follow that, that, let's follow that line of thinking to its logical conclusion. So Rand assumes that okay all this stuff is going to happen and he is going to be in the in the last battle and he's going to defeat the dark one what happens after that when you are now in a world with no dark one no Rand. is there no place for a chora tree no the violence is unleashed in people in men's minds but now you've sealed away the dark one no touch of the no. dark one on the world anymore what now it's escaped it's in it's in there it's it's out it's been out for three thousand years I, I, I agree with Vili on this one. Yeah, it's it's out. You don't you don't bottle that shit back up again. It's like like I tell my kids you all do, the time. Trilogies. It's like when you squeeze it when you when you squeeze toothpaste and you squeeze the toothpaste out, it feels good. It's nice. 
But once a toothpaste is out, you don't get it back in, just like the words that leave your mouth. Like, that's a responsibility. <laughs> what have you been smoking? Do you mean smoking chura leaves? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it doesn't matter because time is cyclical and the trees will come back. Also, do we know that the chura tree is destroyed? I no. mean, yeah, trees burn and bad. regenerate all the time. Some trees need fire to live. I've been trying to get this out for like 10 minutes now. <laughs> There's a line there. Rand says people will come back and live in the city and they will tend to the Avandasaur tree. There is there. There you go. There you go. And he, he does Maybe actually in, think that. Like, in, the, the, in the fourth age, when <laughs> this all is turned over and they've all gone back yeah. to being hippies under the tree. Well, that's... Then that's, it restarts. Uh, that's the technically the end of this book. Yeah. The end of the series is very the start soon, of the yeah. fourth age. Hmm. So Yeah, look, because I think perhaps. the violence is not going to disappear when the dark one gets locked up. There'll still be wars. I mean, the Sean Chan are still there. They're not just going to suddenly go, oh, yeah, you're right. Slavery's bad. Let's let all these women go. Of course not. So that's going to, and it's going to go like, you know, the wheel of time will turn and eventually we'll come to the age of legends again as humans evolve to that utopia. Exactly. But that's the point. Like, you will get to the age of legends type age again. You know, there was violence before the age of legends, but they managed to get rid of it Mm. where Mm. people were safe and everything was fine. We joked about it in the episode with the flashbacks about the Chora trees drugging all the people. Like Mm -hmm. we, we joked about it. And I questioned then, you know what, you know what they could possibly do, which is like the greatest things about plants is you could store their seeds and grow from the seeds. You don't have to keep cutting. I always talk about cuttings and, and saplings and stuff. Like, do we know that it makes seeds? Hey, man, maybe they've forgotten about that. Maybe they just got to get one to flower. They forgot about seeds, but they remembered about cuttings. Hey, a lot of things was lost <laughs> in the breaking of the world. <laughs> Lots of knowledge. Maybe oh, the man. Chora tree only flowers and seeds once on a full moon that has gone red in the cyclical calendar. Once in an age. Once in an age. Who knows? I mean, the tree hey, also makes you peaceful tree. when you sleep underneath it. So it is a magic tree. <laughs> oh, my brain. Um, What else? <laughs> There's more? Oh, we just had the... I just had a couple notes. I only had like, I think, one, two, three, four notes from that Ooh. chapter. And one of them was just like saying, ah, okay, cool. Here's the thing that Ian Yellen wrote in about like cords being cut cutting off asmonian from the dark one and we were saying we would come to this part and see how how reliable is that account that asmonian gives when he says all you've done now is make me as vulnerable as you um because we were sort of saying okay cool well that explains what happened with all the other cords but is that really true is asmonian a um reliable narrator in that in that moment but i I believe him like Mm. the state that he's in i don't think he's got any any grounds with which to be you know, sort of mm. duplicitous or lead rant astray. No, it's been well and truly beaten. So I've already told you guys what my favorite moment is with Marin butchering the Trolloc. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an honorable mention, which was Rand just sort of like keeping quite mellow when Kuladin was ranting and raving on the stage. I like that image of Kuladin standing up there shouting at everyone and Rand just standing there very quietly and just, you know, speaking in a normal voice, being the, the cool and collected one. Um, but what were your favorite moments? Let's start with you, Vili. Oh, Jody's sitting there shaking head. I'm going to read my favorite <laughs> moment. All right. I'm going to think of one quick. When the tree burnt. No, <laughs> <laughs> no the, the, the tree burning is not a favorite moment. I mean, it's, it's heart-wrenching, but it's 
It's symbolic. <laughs> um, I was just kidding. <laughs> I did not say how far. You cannot say I did. He couldn't say anything. She was so beautiful. He just wanted to look at her, to see her beautiful, alive with him. Her scent was clean, sweet, with just the slightest hint of herbal soap. He was not sure whether he wanted to laugh or cry, maybe both. He wanted to pull all of her smell into his lungs. Oh, Rand really does love Lanfear. <laughs> <laughs> Perrin and Fael reuniting after when he thought he was never going to see her again. Yeah. It's a sweet one. Mm. It is. It's very nice. I mean, that whole parent chapter is laced with emotion, right? Like his letter to her in the beginning, um, Bain and Chayad, uh, just the, the emotional connection we have to the villages. It's um, it's also such a cool, uh, cathartic end to that whole Two Rivers, Trolloc, White Cloak saga it's, that it's played out in this book. good victory. Yeah. And after that victory with Fail. Fail being there with the people that came and saved them in the end, and then Perrin, like having already decided that either he was going to die in battle or the White Cloaks were going to hang him. There's just no way that he's going to end up with Fail, and there she is, right in front of him. No, absolutely, it's awesome. Loved it. It's a, it is a clean, big battle with a clean ending, with no negotiations, with forsaken and. <laughs> Polishing cards on tables and <laughs> how about you joe well you basically touched on it there as well of course of course this chapter this is the one and my mm. and and the arrival of the of the men from devon right uh the the reinforcements when when everything looks so bleak and that it looks like that letter is going to become is going to come true um reinforcements arrive the cavalry saves the day um they were mm. not forgotten their friends and their neighbors protect each other. Uh, it's a very nice heartwarming and phew, got close. We were down. We were in between the buildings, man. The kids were in there with <laughs> knives. It's a close run That's thing. down to yeah. the wire and then reinforcements arrive, which is very, very cool because yeah. that did not happen with Manetherin. This They, they don't have no. a very good uh, track record <laughs> with reinforcements arriving. So I'm glad it no. happened this time. Well, yeah. it was the people of Manetherin that ride and or rode yes. to aid the yes. people of yes. Manetherin. They could so count on their own. I suppose, they can yeah. count on their own, even if they were mm. from Watchiel or Devon Ride. <laughs> I like those guys. It's those Terran Ferry folk I'm not fond of. Those Terran Ferry guys. Those are the ones you can't know. trust. They just rub me the wrong way with their <laughs> ferry and their tall houses. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so ordinarily we would end things here, but let's take a couple of moments just to talk about the book as a whole. Now, we have in the past had some things to say about the pacing of the books. How did you guys feel about The Shadow Rising? Like the book as a whole is obviously a great one. I think it's universally um, loved by fans of the series for a mm. number of reasons. And I mean, they are pretty obvious. Um, but how did you guys feel? Is there anything that stands out or anything you want to touch on? It's, it is The whole book is just flat out pace. There's so <laughs> much that happens in this book. It is one of the top five books in the whole series. So, I mean, it is, it is one of the top five in the series. And I won't say mm. the best, but very close second, third type that it's, it is a great one. 
Um, tak, even with a spelling mistake that's in my copy. <laughs> yeah. What's the mail called? <laughs> Sam Mace. Sam. Sam Mace. Sam Mace. Sam Mace. The fuck is Sam Mace? Yeah. I know I, I mispronounce stuff, but man. <laughs> I mean, you joke, but it is almost easier to point out the things that you didn't like than to list all the things you do like oh, because yes. it is generally just awesome. I thought that it started a little bit slow, like that whole section. I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago now, right? Like we started this last year when they're in tier and mm. Rand is just reading and the girls are sort of like trying to get Elaine close to him and they're interrogating the Black Archer sisters and everything mm. is sort of like, you know, just kind of stagnated in tier but there was a there was a trollic attack there was everything but there was, i mean yes. there was action all it's the not that way long. through it's not that long that they're there it's, yeah. it's and let's let's do our difficult thing of sort of condensing this into a timeline how long was it since rand left the stone of tier jumped into like a, 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 a gateway or a, sorry a, a, a portal stone Portal stone. And next minute he's in the waste. And their traveling in the waste was from Ruidian to um eleven days, was it? Eleven days cool. or something? Day eleven. Cold rocks, something yeah, like that. Cold yeah, rocks yeah. hold Actually, eleven days. Dodger. And then how many days was it to so I mean fifteen days worth of traveling or something, seven days or something. He didn't sleep for seven so I mean the whole book is like a month. Yeah. Like this is a month of time. He's wrecked a city. He spilled water in the fucking waste. <laughs> he made it rain. He wrecked here, figuratively. Yeah. Wrecked here as well. And uh, yeah. that shit's happening real fast. Mm. And I have my favorite moment that plays into this. So I'll wait yeah. for that. I think we're all going to have the same, <laughs> the same favorite moment. Well, I know Moritz has got it. Uh, the same as mine. <laughs> so I'll let you go first. But yeah, out of like, it's difficult to say, is this my favorite book of the series? Because I don't remember any of the other books after this. But of the four <laughs> books that I've read, this is my favorite. Yeah. Yes, I can agree to that. Yeah. This book, it, it kind of cheats on the how to get under Moritz's skin and into his heart by just introducing just <laughs> massive Aiel lore, right? Like, is that what you were alluding to before, Joe? Like, of course, it is just. Of course. It's just mainlining Aiel culture and history. I mean, we've got even the columns. So you get like the history of them and then the current day and then you see them in battle and they are ferocious. And it's it's just um, Aiel, 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 which is a very easy way to make it one of my favorites. But I mean, there's other cool stuff that happens here as well. I mean, the whole Two Rivers saga is oh. cool. It's very, very sort of localized. It's not as grand a scale as what we see with Rand. Um, but it is still extremely engaging. Like mm. we, we've got history there. We've we've learned about the the characters from um, the two rivers for a long time. Like when they start naming names, like you find yourself recognizing family names or mm. like you know names that other people or just versions of names. Like you, you feel like you know that, and like you are from Emmonsfield or the two rivers. Yeah. So it is very very effective in its um, in its goals. And then I mean we don't talk about it much, but. The girls go to a city that is supposedly extremely dangerous in the middle of a civil war. There is, it's just after like the Sean Chan had left it in shambles. They are going up against the Black Arger sisters. Is it twice? Or is it the end of the previous book? No, it's the end of the previous book, mm. Dragon Reborn, where they go up against them in Tyr. And then here they go up against them in, um, in Tanchico. Face down Mogidian. 
find one of the other seals of, of the Dark Ones, but the, the Dominion bands are found in book four. Yeah. Again, like I'm constantly shocked at how early things are happening. Perrin is married. They find the Dominion bands. They've, mm. you know, Asmodian, Lanfear, um, Morgidian, all in the mix right now. Um, it is, yeah, it is. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff happening outside of just Aiel lore dumps. Mm. Um, and then there is the, the small, almost insignificant matter of the split in the tower. Oh yeah. You that know, like happened too. Swan <laughs> getting stilled and Isodia running away and like Elida becoming Amelin's seat. Like that is huge. And obviously we know the repercussions because we've mm. read all the other books, but you know, like if you think about all those things I've just listed out there, everything that happens in this book is incredible that it's all crammed into a single book. It is chock full of, if not physical action, just plot progression mm-hmm. and information and new culture and just so much, so much good stuff. It is, it's really, it's like the, the one spelling mistake really called out is like yeah. the one thing that I have that I don't like about it. There was a spelling mistake in his printing, not even in mine. You know, yeah. <laughs> like That's the only thing I can point to. Let's then pick our favorite moment from the entire book. Jody, I think I know what you think I'm going to say. But, uh, but you're I not going to say think it? that I'm going to say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so why don't you go first and see if you can completely deflate me? Um, no, no, you've 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 uh, deflated me already. I'm I'm going with out of everything that's so awesome. When you recapped it, now I was like, ah, oh, shit. No, I forgot about that. But I'm uh-huh. going to have to still go with um, with the the glass columns and the history of the Aiel, um, that whole story going back and back and back. Mm-hmm. And uh, and finding all that shit out, it is so brilliantly written, and so engaging, and yeah. I just I just love it. I love every part of it. But then you brought up the whole, you know, like I feel so. I feel like what you said. Like I feel like an immense fielder. Like <laughs> how can I abandon yeah. Perrin? Uh, like that's my favorite moment. But I'd say my favorite character from this book is Perrin and his arc. Mm. I don't know. Like I'm just adding things now to what what we were supposed to be saying. <laughs> favorite moments, <laughs> history of the Aiel, Rand going through those columns, and favorite character, Perrin, in this book. The glass columns is my honorable mention. That's all right. that, that is like also a standout section of the book for me, but it is it's not my favorite one. Ooh. Well, tell us your favorite then. Don't leave us hanging. I will keep you in suspense. No, no, really, you go first. No, no, you ah. go. Go, go. No. Tomorrow, you, you do add this little <laughs> Don't say that. Um, no, no, you do have this little <laughs> the the overmind thing going. So no, mine's different. Mine is okay. I'll, I'll go ahead. My my favorite, also not a moment because when you you know you're looking at the whole book, it's more of like mm. a maybe like an event. Is how Rand is taking charge of his own destiny, mm. how he is putting Moraine in her place, and he is not letting people set his path. For him anymore so we've got in this book we've got that chapter from ironically moraine's point of view where rand does the whole slamming of calandor into the into the ground and deciding he's going to leave he's sending all these people up into kyrian on a humanitarian mm. mission uh these nobles you guys are going to pay for this yeah you're going to look after this uh, sick dude who was poisoned uh, <laughs> i'm now going to fuck off this way uh with a with aiel uh, Moraine, you're welcome to come with me if you want, but um, I am not, certainly not, starting a war with Ilian. Forget about that. <laughs> Forget your plans. I'm going to do my own thing. That's and right. when they're in the waste, you know, there's those sections where she's where he says to her at one point, okay, Moraine, 
if you want to play that, after that battle, after the Drakkar yes, attack, yes. it's like, okay, cool. Be straight with me. Mm. Are you going to try and stop me from what I do? And when she answers him, he goes, when her eyes said I away, he goes, yeah. not good enough, Moraine, not good enough. Yeah. Um, I can't handle that. And he just goes off and he's like, he's plotting against the, the forsaken when he knows that they are around him. He does all that learning, like that decision to go to Ruidian and, and go to the Aeol West is everything that he's learned from books. Just- reading just, himself just shut up there so i have at least a bit to add into what my favorite fucking <laughs> part of the story is <laughs> you now billy's regretting letting Moritz go first oh Vinny, you foolish fool you should have taken the opportunity when i gave oh. it to you uh but yeah you get it yeah so billy what's your favorite moment Abs- not Rand. that anymore <laughs> i think and to just to elaborate on or to build on what you brought in is the Dragon Reborn being the announcement of Rand being the Dragon Reborn was so devoid of Rand in itself. It was such a mm. sparse Rand book. And all of a sudden he plays such a strong, like as you mm. say, he's calculated. It's not emotional. Mm. He's, he's doing all of these things without the influence of anyone, but by doing his own research, reading Books. Not just not just without the influence of anyone, but despite the, what everyone is telling him to do. Mm. Like everyone's telling him to act, and he's saying, "No, I'm busy doing research. I'm busy learning. Yeah, I will yep. make a move when I'm ready." Mm. You know, like people are actively trying to tell him to do other things, and he's doing his own thing, and he's right. We are talking about the likes of a blue Aja that's got the full backing of the Emerald Sea, mm. mm. a Forsaken that is wildly in mm-hmm. love with him. Mm-hmm. Three wives. We know they'll be, but you mean, if, if they're going to be your wife, they're going to have an effect on you from an early level. And there's three of them. And despite mm-hmm. all of those, th- two best mates, everyone with their opinions, mm-hmm. every, and those two best mates, by the way, they to Viren as well. Mm. Rand puts all of that out. All of it. Yeah. And he he forges this path into the threefold land and becomes the Karakan in one foul mm. blow within a month. Like this is me, this yeah. is my path, this is my month. And your you can just pick up your chins off the ground when I move back <laughs> to that side of the mountains with an army of hundred thousand plus behind me. Then we go fuck shit up there. So <laughs> Yeah. Done. Yeah. Now yeah. I can invade. It's beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. It's really great. It's it's um, a turning point in Rand's story, right? Mm. Now it all becomes about Rand and his sanity and like just mm. is he making the right decision or not? But at least now he's making his own decisions. Yeah. Actually, I'm just fucking with you. That wasn't my favorite moment. My favorite moment still yeah. that fucking tree burning. <laughs> no, totally. It's my favorite arc. <laughs> it's yeah. You just explained Rand's character arc, and I'm like, I get that's the most important arc in the in the story, like for the, mm-hmm. the, the what's going to come, but the the most poignant uh, and emotional and one that I connect with is parents, obviously, because he goes mm-hmm. back home and he saves them, and like everything that happens to him and him getting married and him embracing this lordship of his and 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 you know having warders and Aes Sedai defer to him and stuff like. They're all growing. It's only really Matt who's kind of like left out in this book. Matt really just tags along. Well, think about this. Hmm. Think about this. In this book, Matt goes through both 
stone doorways. Mm. He's he both his encounters with the mm. Finns in this book. He's also lost a lot of his memories and gained a bunch of new ones. So Matt is actually still kind of trying to figure out mm. who he is. So this is actually something that Robert Jordan has done in, in some of the books that I quite like, where you read it the first time, and you're like, how come there's no attention? Like book one, you know, it's all Rand. Mm. Okay, cool. It's all set up for it. And then book two, Rand, but then also the girls going to the tower. And in every book, like he's seeding some stuff mm. that he'll come to later. But, you know, Matt only really comes into his own in book three. One of the three, arguably the three protagonists, right? Like Rand, Matt and Perrin. Matt mm. only really starts developing in book three. And now something else has happened to him. And he's laying the groundwork for something to sort of be expanded mm. on later. And he's not, Robert Jordan is not taking like a character per book and like making it just there. Yeah. He's doing the big arc with like the massive character progressions, focus on a couple, a handful of characters, and then the side characters having, or like in that book, the side characters having like just little bits of things happening, where later in the book, the focus will go back to them. So it's like this this really cool um, laying the groundwork so that when the next book starts and we start focusing, because we know in the next book, Perrin is not there. Yeah. He's not in the book. So Perrin has had a nice arc now and he's become Lord of the Two mm. Rivers. Cool. We can pause on Perrin now and take some time to focus on the plethora of other characters that <laughs> yeah. they are, right? Because there's no. just not enough pages in a book to focus yeah. on all of them. I'm not I'm not complaining that there was no Matt arc. I had more than my fill of arcs in this book and awesome shit mm. happening. Like uh, I was just mm. pointing out that that out of the people that were left out, yeah. he was. Um, but look, I'm looking forward. I know what happens to him. So. Hey, I'm, I'm, I've always seen Jody as a Perrin guy and I was quite surprised that I got the Battle of the Two Rivers um, the final battle is the exact like, same thing. Wow, this is, <laughs> Surprise. this is an interesting one. And I'm not complaining at all because I, I absolutely no, love no, no. the Perrin and Fail love story. It's uh, like I said, the, the love story is getting me quite a bit more um, than the action ah. coming the second, Welcome. third read. Uh, it's all through. these old men now. <laughs> Let me recommend a couple of romantic comedies no, for you. That's for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, any last thoughts before we I have an honorable mention off? of a character arc. Egyan, mm-hmm. Eggy. Mm. Um, oh, making yeah. a really rethinking my opinion of the Sornshan in a, a few ways. Like, yes. Easy now, easy. <laughs> you almost made it out of the episode. I, I know, <laughs> almost. But, <laughs> I like her. I like her yeah. a lot. And no, you didn't. No, so do I. Mm. Okay. Look, they can't all be bad. An entire nation. There's got to be some, some good people in no. there. No. On law of averages, there must be some good ones in there. I'll tell you what, Suroth is not one of them. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Sean Chan and a dark friend. I mean, <laughs> God damn. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's like Carradine, white cloak and a dark friend. All right. Well, to all of our listeners, send in your thoughts about The Shadow Rising or any of the other books or anything to do with The Wheel of Time at all to any of our um, social media accounts. They're all listed in the episode description below. Uh, We obviously have a lot of questions that we asked during this episode and many other episodes. We've got a lot of uh, room for theories and pontificating. So please let us know if there's anything you want us to discuss or any thoughts that you've had or any clarifications you would like to offer. In the meantime, 
we will steel ourselves and prepare for the next episode of Blood and Ashes, where we will be starting The Fires of Heaven, book five. I remember loving book five. I think (laughs) in that first half of the series, book five was my favorite book. And I cannot for the life of me remember why. I know why. So I'm excited. I know why. Super excited. No spoilers, really. What do you mean? No spoilers. We'll do spoiler <laughs> no spoilers on the spoiler cast. Do my yes, well. <laughs> do my well. Oh, that's, that's not in this book. book. Six. Oh fuck. Uh-uh. Chapter fifty-seven, <laughs> I think. Spoiler. Damn. Lord of Chaos. <laughs> I spilled his spoiler. Damn it. <laughs> Spoilerception. I'll have to wait a whole nother book for that. Yeah. You will. It'll only take us a year. Um In our next episode, when we do start that book, we will cover the first four chapters. So that is the prologue called The First Sparks Fall, uh, through to the end of chapter three called Pale Shadows. I've got a note here. Everyone go check if you still have a copy of Fires of Heaven. I bought one. Do you guys have a copy? Yes, I've got three copies. Now I've got the paperback, I've got the hardcover, and I've got the Kindle. Yeah, and I've got the audiobook as well. All right, well... On that exciting note, I will bid you gentlemen a fond adieu and see everyone next time. Uh, Goodbye, y'all. Yo.